Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Bandwagon Nerds is taped in front of a live studio audience. Ovation is beautiful. It is so great to be back in the basement with you all, fellow basement dwellers. This is your good friend, Patrick O'Dowd, welcoming you in to another edition of Bandwagon Nerds after two weeks off of, let me tell you, just... Well, I think unadulterated hell is the wrong way to describe it, but it's pretty darn close as my my employer, the University of Massachusetts, welcomed students back. And breaking news, to do to do to do to do do. Students have been back for two weeks, and we are already in our COVID risk has gone from normal to elevated to this morning at 9 a.m. high as our cases exploded. And it's been a great time. Welcome back. Let's put 5,000 people together in a confined space. Let's expect college students to just do what they're told. Ha, 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 ha. None of that happened. So we are still living the COVID dream. I'm happy that we got people back because those people pay my salary. But good Lord, do we, we need some people to chill out. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Very exciting edition of Bandwagon Nerds today as we are kicking off the 90s project today. And of course, I'm not doing that alone. We have our normal group of gentlemen with us. We've got our good friend, the lawyer, David Ungar, the reverend himself, Ray Cash, and the live studio audience, also known as Twitter inmate 24601 PC Tunney. Not even on probation anymore. It's over. It's forgotten. 
See, so you're much. not a Les Mis fan because you don't get it. Because Les Mis, uh, the Val- Jean Valjean was known as Prisoner 24601, even when he was out of prison. Therefore, Twitter inmate 24601, welcome back to the show. Well, a Les you, Mis. From you back to the show, by the way. How about that? Thank you. Thank you. I <laughs> missed you guys. I missed you guys. I'm going to tear you guys down in a second, but I I missed. I just want to say the live studio audience never put us over like that. That That's all I want to say about that, Pat. So welcome back. I mean, they, they love me. They love me. See, there they go again. They love me. They love me. You know, watch. PC Tunny. Oh, oh yeah. yes. Your ass. You got me. That was really good. It backfired on me. Son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, uh, that, was, that, was great. that was great that was great anyway yeah i missed you guys i did i missed it i listened to both the shows uh we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about last week's show uh as i love that the audience put me over because boy howdy last week you all sure didn't just just my i mean my well, it, God. that was love sir that was love it's no, a thin it was, line between love and hate he's here to shit on you but you're not gonna say anything back to us okay let's just be honest yeah like you were really gonna say anything positive about jack snyder zach snyder's cut about justice league come on I, we we this isn't even on the agenda we're not gonna cover it but there i have problems we're gonna talk about this before it airs because i don't see how just i don't see why a justice league movie needs to be rated r but uh no, I am excited to be back. We, I do want to talk a little bit because I, I, I love that you do the superhero spotlights, Dave. When I'm gone, I love that you pick them when I'm gone. But you picked my favorite superhero of all time to talk about when we're gone. So I, I do want to go back and I want to talk a little bit about that. I got some bones to pick as uh, as we got some trolling going on here. You all can't see it in the Skype room, but there is some trolling taking place from from one Mr. Ray Cat. And yeah, I see the Reverend, the the audience understands that you know trolling is wrong. They can see it. They, the studio audience can see it because they're in a, they're in the studio with us. Trolling. Well, trolling. I don't. I, I I know not what you speak of. You know all of what I speak of. I, you sounded just like me talking about the Chicago Cubs on the Chair Shot Radio on Sunday. But, <laughs> Good point. That's right. That's right. But we are going. We're going to talk a little bit of that, and we're going to talk Wandavision episode five. Take our break, and then, as we all know, the project episodes, the list episodes, are always the longest. I did random draw our order for the the first go around of the '90s project, which wasn't in your agenda. I did it today. But before we get to all that, it's time for a little feedback. So um, I, I listened to the, the Spider-Man session as Tony takes out his earbuds as he like, doesn't want to hear it. That's great. And I got, let me, let me start with this. You did a pretty good job. It was fine. You did a, You did fine work. God damn it, Ray. We just got the, it was fine fucking moniker attached to it. It's, it's so condescending, but it's I'd like, it's like, <laughs> Like a pat on the head, like good job, kid, good job. Yeah, you, you. It's like that Simpsons. It's that Simpsons gift where Bart gets the cake that says, "At least you tried," and then you threw it into it threw it. Into, actually, no, you, you know, for a, wow, you did great. Like it was, it was a really good assessment. But Spider Man, he's my favorite superhero in the whole world, and the reason he's always been my favorite, and that's true, Tony. You were mostly silent as you mouthed, like I didn't say anything. Uh, <laughs> That's true. But for me, I I just want to talk about like why I like him. So like if there was ever a character that I identified as a kid being an awkward kid who was smart and enjoyed books over 
just about anything. And, and I say this as a kid who, who was an athlete in high school, like I played baseball, but I was never going to, like, I was never going to play college ball. I was about six inches too short to play college baseball and, and just knew that that was going to be into it. But my love was my academics. Like I was a, an honor roll student, national honor society. And I have always identified with Peter Parker, particularly the high school, Peter Parker, the, the smart kid who like I was picked on in my freshman year of high school. I was, I was stuffed in a locker once. Uh, when I was a freshman in high school, I was dumped in a trash can once. Uh, I was, I was not what you would call popular, uh, and was, you know, frankly, I was bullied as a kid quite a bit. And so for me, um, Peter Parker, uh, was this person I could really relate to and identify with as he sort of, he really rose, you know, to, to be able to have this like power and ability and to be like behind this mask could be somebody completely different from what he presented at, at school. And, and I just, I loved it. And I often talk about my favorite, the best Spider-Man movie, which you got to get Belaz. Uh, by the way, shout out to uh, a Belaz, which Belaz showed up on the show last week. Is it Andrew? Andrew, uh, thank you for showing up on the show get over your animated film bias. That's, that's a real issue that we got to get, we got to work you past because Spider-Man yep. into the Spider-Verse. It'll never happen. Never it's why and, he's and a, he's everything Japanese. <laughs> and, which is funny because Japanese animation is some of the greatest art there is out there far and away. Like we could do a whole show on anime, but into the Spider-Verse, I will, I will stand and I will die on that hill that it is the best Spider-Man movie ever made. Uh, and I say that as a fan of Spider-Man too. And for me, the, the timing of when that movie came out in conjunction with Stan Lee's death probably has a little bit to do with it. But when Spider-Man dies, uh, the Peter Parker in, in Miles Morales's reality dies, which is a thing that happens in the ultimate universe. And he goes and he buys the costume and Stan Lee's like, I like to think we all, have a little bit of him in us that resonated with me in a huge way even in that movie but that's to me that was so true like i really saw a lot of myself in peter parker and always have and just i love that character i love what he's done and you know when a comic's been around for 60 years you know there's going to be some clunkers and there's going to be some bad storylines that's not to say uh as i as i segue out of that i i, I nitpick Jessica Drew, the OG spider-powered person, Ray. What what are you talking about? To, to, to my credit, number one, Patrick yep. is acting like they're like 50 years apart. Jessica Drew came out about 15 years after the original Spider-Man, number one. 15! In comic years, that's like three months. Secondly, secondly, Jessica Drew was around for a very long time because she was a Hydra agent. So the Jessica Drew that we know, that's a completely different person than Spider Hydra agent, whatever she was when she was with Hydra. So look, and we misspeak all the time. You you know, you misspeak every time when you say that uh, Zack Snyder's a terrible, uh, terrible director. We misspeak. It happens. Spider-Man is is the OG Spider Woman came out fifty a decade and a half after 
Peter Parker. And Zack Snyder is a trash director. Oh, so, so this it's this kind of show, huh? Everything that Patrick says is gonna get the 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 Daniel Bryan pop. I got you. Okay. See, they understand. They agree with you. They agree with you. Yes, that's true. That is correct. See, watch Dave say something real quick. Respond. Okay. Yeah. See, they don't like it. They don't like it. It's not. It's not good. They like me. They're all about me. Yeah. There. See. There is tough. Tough crowd. Tough crowd, Ray. It's great crowd. It's great crowd tonight. It's great crowd. I love it. They're super fans. They. They are all about us. It's a very malleable crowd, if you will. Yes. <laughs> be careful. Be careful. Be careful. We know who has more firepower crowd-wise there, Mr. O'Dowd. Yeah, that's that's fair. You do have you do have your little sound bar there. So yeah, I did want to call that quibble out because I and it, here's the thing, Ray. True story. I stopped for a second, was like, wait, what is it? Wait a minute. No. That's like, but but is he? No, no. I actually had to go double check and make sure that I wasn't crazy. And uh-huh. look it up because I was like, no, I know this isn't true. Jessica Drew was like a 70s character, like her whole look and her style. So got it all back in track. But I did want to share a couple of story arcs before we go into talking about WandaVision that uh, that you guys left out. You, of course, talked about Craven's Last Hunt, which is easily my favorite and not only is it my favorite, it's the first story arc I ever got. I've told the story many times that my grandmother bought me the like fifth issue where Craven blows his head off because it's the next to last issue of that little arc. Here you and, go, Sonny. Check you know, this grandma, out. Well, she didn't know. Like she was like, "Oh, Spider Man. Here you go. You know, cart- comic book characters. That's no big deal." So she, you know, no fault of, of old Grandma O'Dowd. She was just you know, being a good grandma. And so like I had, and I had that comic forever and I used to look at my, like my parents, I don't think my parents ever saw it, but I would strongly advocate if you really get into Spider-Man, you want to really dig deep and you want to read some great stories, all of the ultimate Spider-Man run all, it's about a hundred issues or so, which starts with a Peter Parker and it's an alternative um, universe to, to the Peter Parker origin story all the way through to Miles Morales taking on the mantle and Peter Parker dies uh, just like he does in Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse that, that Miles Morales is reality. Peter Parker dies and, and Miles takes over and became such a popular character. And, and for me, it's really, I love the way that they, um, Brian Michael Bendis changed green goblin with the goblin serum, actually turning him into this creature, got rid of the goofy costume and the, and it, 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 he's just a badass character. I love it so, so much. Do you agree with the yep. death of Spider-Man storyline being an honorable mention? Uh, for me, do you mean in the ultimate universe? Right, right. It, it, the rationale that I had for Wait. putting it as an honorable mention, because it can be confusing to keep those universes straight for newbies out there. Right. I, I mean, they're, they're great stories. So I, I don't think it's a must. I think the thing is, is that the ultimate Spider-Man book because it was designed to bring in new readers is a actually a great launching point for new comic book readers to then go back and check the old og continuity because you go back and read comics from the 60s they're goofy right 60s 70s 80s like there's a very distinct you mean not, not every sentence ends with an exclamation mark in the real world 
Well, and they don't articulate their thoughts in every like every speech balloon like that's and that was always the thing that you know it's challenging with comics and is part of the charm of the medium but is also a challenge with the medium um so i think it's actually a really good place to start with with reading uh about spider-man because you get a peter parker character you get to see what the big deal is about um miles morales and i this spider gwen isn't in the ultimates i don't think i think she shows up outside of that uh in a different run of comics the other kind of current arc that i thought is definitely worth a read is the superior spider-man run from a couple of years ago with the body switch between Otto Octavius and Peter Parker, where Otto Octavius is dying and his con and you, and he transplants his consciousness into Peter Parker's body at first in an act of revenge, but then out to much like Craven in Craven's last hunt prove that he could be a superior Spider-Man to Peter Parker. And that is a year long arc of comics that shows a tremendous amount of development in the Otto Octavius character before Peter actually, you know, retakes his body and comes back. And it's very, very well written and launched a lot of current story arcs that, that people enjoy today. And then last but not least, you can get these in a compilation in, in what's known as a trade pack, trade paperback. But the two, two of the more definitive moments in Peter Parker's life particularly very early in the Spider-Man run in the early late 60s, early 70s, or the death of the Stacys, both the death of Captain Stacy, who was the chief of police and Gwen Stacy's dad, and then later the death of Gwen at the hands of the Green Goblin, who that was the other one that I wanted to point out. Somebody said that it was Harry Osborne that dropped Gwen. It was not. It is Norman Osborne. Norman Osborne is the one who drops Gwen. Peter catches her. There's no way Peter could save her. Even ca- catching her kills her. If she lands, she dies. And it's it's what formulates and shoots Peter Parker forward into his life after, like, Gwen's death changes who he is as a character fundamentally and, you know, leads to his relationship with Mary Jane Watson and is kind of in everything he does from then on out. So those are my recommendations on the whole, good job, guys. I, I do think it was better than fine. Well done. Question. I, I take full credit for this, Ray, just so you know. Uh, go ahead. No. Good job. Good job. Good job. We're a team, Dave, but I have a question for the for the for the panel, if I may. <clears throat> this shit was more important than talking about WandaVision? <laughs> no, I just know we're gonna spend more time talking about WandaVision, so I kicked it off with the Spider-Man critique since that was last week's show. Because you talk about last week before you go into this week, but I'm I'm sorry that you don't like my. You know what? I rescind. I rescind my cheer. I rescind my cheer. I've turned my key in direction. We're making them wait, Ray. We're making them wait. We're building the anticipation. Everybody knows. At least Tuddy had the class to give me shit about that in the chat. That's all I'm going to say. Hey, you know what? You know what? Here's to PC Tuddy. There you go. PC Tuddy gets the applause. But yeah, let's get into it. Let's talk about WandaVision Episode 5. And I feel like we have a bit of a split panel after the viewing because, Ray, I feel like you and I were much more excited about this episode than Mr. Tunney or Mr. Ungar. Both of them gave it a pretty sort of mess slash fine response Mm. 
and that surprised I, me. I will hey. say I started to move more in your guys' direction the more I thought about it. So, hmm. 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 Mr. Tanny, would you like to speak for yourself? Oh, is it hmm. my turn to talk now? <laughs> you guys seem really interested. <laughs> okay, you know, this is not my problem. Is this is not Luke Skywalker level showing up on Mandalorian? It's not even close to that. If you can get rid of that part of it, then I agree with everything you said. It's really cool. It's really awesome what they're doing and how they're introducing it, okay? But from a level of people who aren't completely into it and seen every single minute of every single movie, the big deal hasn't happened for them yet. Hmm. Judges? Judges, what do we think of this? Well, you, I you know, ahead, one thing is I don't think that this show is at all for anybody new to Marvel. It is... there. No, that's not necessarily what I mean, though, but you, you put it on a level of Luke Skywalker. Well, I mean, it's it, it's hard to draw a, a similar comparison, I think, because everybody knows who Luke is. The the ramification of this alternate Quicksilver showing up on her doorstep is probably not readily apparent until you really step back for a minute and think about it. And I give Patrick a lot of credit for recognizing that right off the bat. And then as the more I thought about it, I'm like, wait a second, this meet might mean A, B, C, D, and E. And like, you know, Ray, like last night was saying, damn it, Davey gave me more shit to think about. But that's what this show is doing is it's triggering. It's like the episode a couple weeks ago, you know, so many theories, so little time. And that continues to kind of expand exponentially each week. Now they've got this element. Now they've got this, um, you know, and I don't want to, I want to, you know, let you guys in on this thing without getting too far downstream, but it's it's from the standpoint of a recognizable character. No, I agree with PC Tunney. It's not Mark Hamill showing up from the standpoint of ramifications of what this could mean. Yeah, it might be a not Mark Hamill, but a Luke Skywalker ish moment. Sure. So. So I, I think with all due respect to your opinion, Tunney, this isn't just a Luke Skywalker moment. This is bigger than Luke Skywalker's <laughs> appearance. Let me explain why. Number one, I cannot question the point that Luke Skywalker as a character is bigger than any version of Pietro Maximoff is in, in any comics, TV, movies, any in any medium. That's a fact. I cannot dispute that. However, as you in the same breath you say that most people watching this, this is specific to people who only want to watch this. So is the Mandalorian. Like random regular people who were bored aren't gonna go, aren't gonna subscribe to Disney Plus and go watch the Mandalorian. So that was a big pop for people who care about the Mandalorian. Everybody who watched the Mandalorian knew who Luke Skywalker was. And everybody who watches WandaVision, I truly believe know who he is. But even more than that, but let's go with your let's go with your point. Let's go with your point. No, no, that's fine. You I you thank you for what you just said. Go ahead, continue. But going going to your point, let me let me explain why, even if somebody doesn't know why it's a big deal. Because if you watch the show. Right as soon as he opens the door and everybody's like, who is this? Darcy says she recasted her brother. I'm not debating the significance of it. What I'm debating is it's not as big a deal as Mark Hamill showing up on The Mandalorian. I explained. I got line. you. And I'm, tell, I'm, I'm trying to tell you why it is. Just let me finish. I'm trying to tell you why it is. But at the same time, you're telling me why it isn't, too. Okay. Well, go ahead. No, I'm done already. So 
So I, I, I'll jump in here. Here's why I here's why I called it a Mark Hamill esque moment because I it was not about the actor that showed up. It was about the moment and kind of what Dave showed. So Tony, I see your point of view. Like I get it. Like in terms of the character that showed up. Yes, Pietro is not Luke Skywalker in terms of like Marvel canon. Now, I do think that that moment is probably still happening if what Ray predicted happens actually happens. If Magneto shows up, is that would you consider that a Luke Skywalker slash Mark Hamill sort of moment? Is that is that big enough, or is it or is it just that the familiarity isn't there that it would matter that way to you? Yep. I think one is if you kind of separate it and it's hard to separate it in the way I'm looking at it. And I think we're spending too much time on my opinion here is one way I'm looking is from strictly a viewer tuning in and seeing a Mm -hmm. mega super surprise and knowing exactly what it is and everything else. Right. From that part, I don't think it's the same, but from the part of progressing the story and inside of the story and granted that's part of viewing it, but I'm just saying, I, I don't agree with it. I can be wrong. You can be right. But I still don't agree. I, no, well, I see your perspective. I, I don't think that there's necessarily a wrong answer. I think that if either Michael Fassbender or Ian McKellen show up, that's a pretty, that's a pretty huge, that's significant. But if I if I may, Patrick, if if I may, yeah. to further expound on what I was saying, I I, I get the importance of no, the person being known who it is, but. The, the reason I think this is a bigger moment is because this is the this is the first introduction of actual mutants into this MCU world. I think that's where we're having a disconnect here. Because if I was pressed to say whether it was a bigger moment with what, what just happened here as far as what we're watching or when Luke Skywalker showed up on Mandalorian, this is a bigger moment. But it's not the same level of Luke Skywalker showing up on the Mandalorian. That's what I'm saying. I know, and I hear you. And I, I think, yes, I get you. I'm still disagreeing because I don't think the big part of that moment was that it was the big part of the moment wasn't about the character. It was about the shock of of the continuity of the series. I think that was the biggest so- part of it. So I'm going to jump in here because here's I do want to move past whether or not we feel like the moment was huge or, or how huge we felt the moment was. I do want to talk about ramifications uh, because my instant thought and the reason why it got me super excited. This is the first tangible Fox crossover that we've had into the MCU, like where a Fox owned property previously owned property from the big purchase now has shown up in the disney marvel cinematic universe and my theory and it could be proven wrong but what i think what dave was getting at and dave you can chime in after after this is the reason it was such a huge deal to me and the reason why i was like oh my god is to me when you look at what they tried to establish with what Wanda is doing and talking about these being actual people that she is manipulating, that she is controlling their reality, this feels like she ripped somebody from a different reality and brought it to hers. And that bleeds very, very well into her possibly being the big bad in Multiverse of Madness. 
or or at least being a bad in Multiverse of Madness with Doctor Strange. Yeah, absolutely. I think, There's, and that's and that's where I think the significant growth, significance grow. It's huge in the standpoint from like you're saying, it is the first time we've seen a Fox actor show up in the MCU. That's point in case number one. And of course, you know, this shit starts up as I'm trying release to release the hounds. Yeah, that the release the hounds, exactly. You guys need to shut up. So um it, it, it's it's that. The other issues that you that I, I think like you're saying, Pat, either either she took somebody who was already in Westview and like Darcy thinks recast them as Pietro, which raises the question, how does Darcy know who this alternate Pietro is? Because as far as we know, she's only been in the normal you know the normal universe right so i i that's that's another issue that's like how does darcy know who this is unless she's seen an alternate universe it raises a question if this is wanda taking pietro from some other dimension then that raises the possibility that another wanda will show up and challenge her at some point in time you took my brother from I mean, me, bitch. Now I'm going to have to cut you down. And now you've got a, a big potential for something like that. I don't know. I don't know. And that's, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it, what it could do or what it could mean. Uh, I don't think that Darcy thinks that she recast somebody else. I think she remembers old Pietro who died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's, what that's what I think is because it was played by a different actor. I can't remember the guy's name. Aaron Taylor so, Johnson. I, yes. So I think, I think that's, I think that's what that comment meant. Um, other thoughts about the episode, other things that you all, you all took away. What, what, what were our thoughts? what did you think of the open, the, the family ties slash a little bit of full house too. Yeah. They growing reenacted pains. the full house run down the hill. And growing pains. That was the, um, with the kids going from babies well, to grown adults. Talk about the kids for a second. They, seem to be operating independent of Wanda and have the ability to manipulate their age at will, um, which it raises some all sorts of interesting things. The big thing in, you know, I know we've talked about this. I know we talked about it last week. I don't know if I've got Pat's opinion on this so far, but the whole concept is vision alive or dead. If he's dead, then how does he form the basis to start questioning what Wanda's doing? If she's really in control of him, how does he now suddenly realize what she's doing is wrong? So it tells me there's an independent will going on inside him, and he's not just right. been re or not just so, it's not just Wanda pulling the strings. He's he's sentient in some aspect, right. and there's conflict brewing between Wanda and Vision, which could and that's why I said to Ray yesterday this could open the door to a disassembled storyline if they're going down that path. Aren't they all aware at some point, though? Because we've seen with the neighbors and everything else. At some some point, everybody there is aware of what's going on, but they don't let it be known because they're afraid of what's happening. But it's more important for Vision. It's very tenuous. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, Vision said one important thing in, in in the episode. He said, I can't remember anything before. Right. Before Westview. Right. So that that makes me think that he's been... Re- reanimated to an extent, but and every but his entire everything is forgotten. But today we, we saw him. Haven't we seen it? her lose focus and see him actually as he is with the right. you know stone removed and everything too? So we we've seen lots of cracks in Wanda's exterior um, and her control over this 
reality, whether it be, you know, from what was it, the second episode with what's his name in the hedge clipper in the in the concrete to various people at different times snapping out of it for brief moments. Even in the opening scene, so much happened in that opening scene of episode five where Vision is seeing things that he he had been looking past before. But, you know, Agnes comes in, things go a little sideways, and she's like, well, do you want me to redo it? Like, do we want to redo a take? So even, like, so she knows that something's up. And she's never been, like, we've never seen who her alias is. Like, one of the things that they did in that episode where they kind of ran down Westview and the citizens, they were like, this is who this person is, this is who this person Agnes never shows up. And so Agnes is special. And she's, if you notice, every time something's about to happen, she's around. Right. And none of it faces her. She's like, oh, the kids went from five to ten. Eh, it's it's like no, no big deal. It's like no big deal. Except for the dog dying. Yeah. But with Vision 2, we've also found out that these people are under a spell, and it hurts. Right. Yes. And right. that he, he can undo it. Out. Yeah, he can undo it, and then he put them back under it so that they were they were in less trouble being in pain under the spell than being out of it under you know Wanda finding out. Which adds but more credence to Vision being alive. If he can undo what she's doing. And just, I'm starting to think Dave's original idea that there's something more sinister afoot is true because it's clear that Wanda doesn't have full control of everything that's happening. For example, right. just, just Pietro showing up, um, it was alluded to it that wasn't, yeah. it wasn't her. And it's alluded to that every time, Vision said, every time something goes wrong, somebody pops up to take your attention away. And as soon as he said that, Pietro popped up, but she was like, that wasn't me. So Wanda's pissed off, right? And somebody offered her a way to get back what made her angry. And so who is that somebody that that's what we need to figure out, right? And that's where all your theories are coming from. You guys have some really good theories on what's going to be coming. And, right, and speaking right. of that, uh, by the way, that, that little nugget I gave y'all last week turned out to be true about Wanda breaking into sword and stealing his body. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the post-credit scene from Endgame. The footage. Yeah. Right. That was the one they didn't put in Endgame. That's right. And save for the show. There's a there's a couple of other sort of interesting things that I've noticed that are subtle uh, in the way that this is this show is playing with the audience's mind as well. The the episode recap today, or for this week's episode, the, it's actually not accurate to what you saw in the episode. When she kicks Monica out, she says something different in the uh, the episode. She says, "You're not welcome here." And throws it. She didn't do that in the episode. She just said like you need to go or something like that. So they're already changing. Like even even that's being messed with. In terms of who it could be, I think that Mephisto is still on the table. I think that Nightmare is on the table. And those are those are kind of my two big theories as to who could be the big bad. And until that dog died, I was like that fucking dog is one of them. I swear to God, I was like, the dog is going to be, is one of them. Here's a couple more things, food for thought, things I saw on the internet, you know, because it's all fun. Um, apparently, I don't, and I don't know if this is accurate or not, you have to go back and watch the episode, but when Pietro shows up, behind Wanda is a mirror, and in the mirror, Pietro's hand, as he's reaching out to hug her, is all red, so could be Mephisto, perhaps? You got to go watch that yourself. That's some wild speculation. Monica mm. Rambeau is interesting as well. And and she 
makes a comment that she knows an aerospace engineer who she thinks can help them, which is like, okay, who's that going to be? I've seen speculation, Pat, that this is where they're going to introduce Reed Richards into this whole yeah, thing. Yeah, that's, that's my first guess. My first well, they, guess would be Reed Richards. Darcy brought up CM, 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 CM Punk? CM, oh, CM, no. <laughs> Cosmic background or whatever it is, the stuff, oh, basically yeah, the CM, stuff that turned the Fantastic the, Four into the Fantastic right, Four. Right. Cosmic so it is, it is canon now that they could be in the, in the series. Right. Like this, it's really exciting to me right now because this really is, and we knew it was going to be, this really is where phase five is going. Like this is setting all kinds of groundwork for phase five. And that's just terrific. But, uh, and, and I'll be interested to see how, the Pietro thing plays out because that's going to be next week's episode, right? Is it's going to be about Pietro and where he fits as, as they do that thing in sitcoms when things get a little stale, new character, like also the other thing, just every time you think that they're done with the sitcom nods, I love that they keep, keep bringing them in. The other thing that I think was um, the last thing that I want to talk about is just Wanda's power set and how much it's grown and that we finally got it called hex powers now thank you darcy for finally talking about the hexagonal shape uh of everything and that being the the deal wanda's power has always been called um hex something or other and it's always been more than just mind control and you know matter manipulation It, it really has been reality warping so very, very exciting stuff. I loved it to death. What was interesting is when you like you're talking about her powers growing exponentially. Um, when she confronts the sword agents outside of the oh yeah, the show, yep. and her Sokovian accent returns, and she I was just about to say basically throws their drone at them and 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 turns her weapons on each other. And it's like, don't fuck with me because I'm gonna let you, you know, guys you know walk what, out of here you know for now. That, you know what that moment's a nod to as well, right? To nod to her dad in the first X-Men movie. Yes, you're right. Very first X-Men movie when Magneto has every single gun fire on a human and stops the bullets. That's right. Like, that's a great reflection. Uh, Again, we're bringing them in, and I'm here for it. Tony Tony says, says, no, that theory is bunk. The mirror one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've just watched it over like four times, and it's like a split second, and you can't see it. Like, I can try and pause it right here. Hold on, and let you guys look at what you see. Straight anything. I mean, I think it's people reaching anyway, but this is the shit you hear about because this show generates so many theories and so much speculation. Like, I don't unlike unlike wrestling news. There's multiple Dave Meltzers out there. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. This is true. Dude, did here's you see that guy tweeted? Here's, that, oh, here's the, best the, last the best look you can get is back up in there. See that? Yeah, see there? No, I, see that. I mean, if that's you're, all it is. Yeah, it could just be lighting. It could be lighting. And look at how fast it happens, too. And this is the only place you see it. Look at how fast it happens. Cheers. I mean, there. Yeah. That's it. That's, that's it. That's all you've seen. Yeah, yeah fuck that. Yeah. That, that's angle and lighting, so... It's Next it's week, Morbius. I'd love to see how it's this... Morbius, Pat. There it is. Oh, no, nah, he's he's busy. Oh, you know what I just thought about? I just thought about something. The original Pietro in the MCU knows who Vision is. So we know this is a different Pietro. Right, because he asked who it was. 
She's like, right. This right Remember, guy? Vision was created for the fight against Ultron. So he right. knows who he is. So so that should be so now we know for sure this is we, we already knew it was a different Pietro, but the idea that this is the same Pietro we just recasted as Evan Peters, that's theories out the water. This is like right. Luke Skywalker showing up on the Mandalorian. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Coming full circle. Oh, yeah, I love this stuff. Okay, that Ray Cash is why we waited and talked WandaVision second. So we can get a nice... Did you really want me running you guys down over Spider-Man before we go into commercial break? Like, is that really what you wanted? Because that's what we're going to do next, is I'm about to talk about pro wrestling tees. I would have preferred to not be run down, but you know... Well, you can't be choosers. He said that Jessica Drew was the OG spider person. You, you could let me make it, bro. You sow, sir. You reap what you sow. You reap hey, what you sow. Give Ray a break. He's got a job as a gigolo now. Gigoloism running wild. So there you go. As, as I mentioned earlier in the show, the burial that I suffered <laughs> last week <laughs> makes this all warranted. Anyway. We don't want you to bury us over here at the chairshot.com and the chairshot radio network. So help keep us going by heading over to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot and checking out our wide array of t-shirts that are available for purchase. We've got all kinds of stuff. There is the bandwagon nerd shirt. There's some OG chair shot logo shirts. There's some hashtag save tag team wrestling shirts out there. Hashtag journalism shirts. You name it. We've got it all. We want you to help us. We want you. We love your support. We appreciate you as fans. You can get those shirts in your standard T-shirt style, you know, the regular scratchy cotton, or if you're feeling fancy, go a little soft style. Spend a few dollars more. Help us. Thank you very much. Again, that is ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shop. When we come back, we are going to break ground on the 90s project, our top 10 science fiction fantasy films of the 90s from multiple decades actually three different decades so it should be exciting we'll see you on the back side you're listening to bandwagon nerds on the chairshot.com part of the chairshot radio network promotional consideration paid for by the following hey folks pc tony here thanks to our new partnership with angry lemonade you can save 10 percent on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code chairshot head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv. Go to powerslam.tv, promo code chairshot. Get your free month. Again, that's powerslam.tv, promo code chairshot. Thechairshot.com. Always use your head. 
And we are back. That's right. Welcome back, everybody. The audience is happy to see us. I'm glad you're happy to see us. I am thrilled. I'm so excited to kick off the 90s project, guys. And uh, Dave, I know you've been chomping at the bit for this. How, how excited are you for, for the 90s project? I'm very excited. It's about damn time, man. We needed to get going on this thing. You know, it's been a well, while since we had a list in a four-hour episode, Pat. We need to get going on this. Well, and, you know, that's why I'm cutting the news bit short. We'll have WandaVision for a while. We'll probably cover about one news item a week so that we can help mitigate that because poor Greg DeMarco, you know, I don't want him to cry to me too much on the DeMarco show. Oh, wait, it's the baby face heel podcast this month slash the yeah slash the chair shot radio slash uh you know greg doesn't know what his fucking show is called show slash greg loves so, oceans 11 they call it that too yeah you know what and i'm never gonna hear the end of it after he got a compliment on his review of oceans 12 by the way golly he's already insufferable with his move i have cancer <laughs> feel sorry for me blah 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 and now he's got this positive view. This is who I, y'all cheered, live studio audience. This is who y'all cheered. Yeah, they did. They they agree, right? Greg Greg is a thirst trap, right? Greg's just a so, big thirst trap. So basically, you're telling me the crowd is in Philly right now. We're in Philly. That's right. <laughs> we were in Philly. Yeah. By the and, way, fuck the Flyers. Anyway, go. Ahead. Uh, anyway, no. Yeah, so he's already going to be insufferable. I can't wait. And I, Greg, when you hear this, you know it comes from nothing but love. Uh, but stop whining about your cancer. No, I'm just kidding. I know everybody Everybody cares. What I love is that I broke Dave on that joke, by the way. Like, Dave had to put the mic down. So, win for me. I, lo- I love it, especially it's like, okay, well, I wrote the synopsis for it. I should get some credit for that review, but no. No credit for no you. No credit, nothing. No, no, Zero. You know, the audience The audience took one read at your review and went this. They, they just were like, boo. Oh. But that's what happens, you know, when you when you ride alongside the boss. And, and I'm already debating as to whether I even want to participate in the trilogy. Like, you're finishing the trilogy this week. like. And then we're going to do Ocean's 8. And, and then that should lead right into all the monster shit that we might be doing. Are, are, you, are, are you really doing Ocean's 8? Did you guys agree to do that? I think he said something like about that. We kind of talked amongst ourselves as, you know, should we do Ocean's 8? I know it's, it's a decent, I haven't even seen I, it. Frankly, I'm so busy at work right now. If you two did two more weeks of the nerd review and I didn't jump in, I would not say no. But we're not here to talk about the nerd review. You can read the nerd review every Thursday when it drops. We're going to talk about the 90s project. And, you know, I started this with how excited Dave is. But, gentlemen, just around the around the room. So I, I think this project is going to be harder for me than the 80s project because this is the wheelhouse of my, like, youth. I was in. Like my junior high, high school, and early college years are the 90s. And so I think every one of these lists is going to be tough for, for me to narrow down. Uh, and yeah, I'm just excited because I get to, like, it basically gets to this is what popular culture was for, for me. This is when I was up to date with stuff and was current. Uh, so just a real quick once around. Put these lists together. Just what are you? What are your initial thoughts? Like, Dave, you got to do yours. Tony, Ray, why don't you share with us just a little bit about how you're feeling about this project going in, what you're looking forward to? Ray, why don't you go first? Um, well, as the youngest guy here, um, I am an '80s baby, but '88, so uh, I remember the '90s fairly well. 
and I don't remember a lot of the more adult movies. Um, you know, as I've gotten older, I've seen all of them, but I, the importance may not be the same to me as it is to you guys. But um, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, Gigolo is right. Um, for the win, you know, baby. I mean, the, for the win. The more <laughs> the more rated R movies. Um, Fair enough. So I all I try to be. I tr- when I think of these lists, I try to be as impartial as possible and and not just take my enjoyment, but box office, critical acclaim, interest, importance, all that stuff. So like I, a lot of my honorable mention movies are like a lot of movies that y'all probably wouldn't have seen because they're more f- not for kids but for teenagers, like small soldiers and stuff like that. Um, but uh, save that yeah. one for later in a different podcast because I love that movie. Fantastic. Fanta, and it hurt me to take it off, but the movie I replaced it with, you'll understand. Oh, oh, oh uh, save, it, save it for the list. Save it for the list. Yeah. No, no, no early reveals. Tony, what about you? What about you with the nineties? Yeah, I'm like right behind you. So I finished up high school right at the end of the nineties there, um, and it's just like you said, it's a time when you were you were the one that was in the age demographic that was keeping up with pop culture. So. Right. I don't know if it's difficult for me, but there is definitely a lot more to dwindle down. So I'm, I'm really excited. I think I'll be excited when we get to the 2000s project as well. But that's ways down the down the road. You can see Ray already, you know, thumbs up over there. But it is it is the coolest part of doing this list is the fact that we have that kind of, you know, what is it? I think it's six seven years between me and Ray. I believe it's probably four to five years between you and me, Patrick, and then maybe another four to five between you and Dave. So you get a good look it's at a, it's a, it's a, it's a decade, decade, Tony. 30, 40 years. Anyway, you get a good You're look. I'll, I'll own it. Rate. I will own that so shit, Pat. I will own it, baby. You can't go with him. He's old. He's so old. He's too old. He can't take his oh. shit. He's too old. Look at him. Right, right. So I did do a randomizer. you? Right, exactly. Thank you for picking that up. Well done. We're going to talk about that guy when the comedy the comedy top 10 hits for sure. I I can't imagine we won't hit that. So just a quick review for everybody on how this works. If this is your first time listening to a list show, you're in for a treat. It is one of our longer shows. We're each going to run down our top 10 list of these various genres. These are our lists. This isn't some definitive, critically acclaimed, sometimes we bend the rules. I bent the crap out of the rules for my first choice. And yes, you did. I'm okay with it. I'll, But I will defend it. No no problems defending it. Uh, but we're going to we run them down. If somebody names a movie that is higher up on another person's list, we pause that movie until we get to the highest ranking it is on the list. So if I list a movie in my number 10 and Dave's like higher on my list, we move on. And I can assume that might happen with the upper echelon of these. Uh, some of these movies look very familiar, I think, all the way around. I, they, the guys always have an advantage over me because they get to see my list ahead of time because I put it in the rundown. So they've already gotten a glimpse. And whose fault is that? It's mine, but I would forget the damn list if I didn't. So I, I don't want to waste paper writing it down when I have a freaking rundown in front of me. At least he's honest, uh, Tony. Not, he's honest. And, and so sometimes I catch a little hell about my choices uh, a little early, but I'm okay with it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with my list today. But um, 
And what we do is the the first go around, I always do a random order and then we'll start shifting who goes first, second, third, last. And this week, uh, the randomizer pulled Tunny going first, Dave going second, Ray Cash going third, and myself bringing up the rear. We do it rotisserie draft style. So Tunny will do his 10. When it gets to me to do my 10, I do my 10 and 9 before we head back down the list. So... Without further ado, we got a lot of movies to cover. No honorable mentions, David Ungar. I know how you like to do that. And it was this was tough for me because sci-fi fantasy, of course, is my wheelhouse. And I'm even going to share, when we get to action-adventure movies, there are action-adventure movies that I left off of my sci-fi list that you could probably consider sci-fi movies. Mm-hmm. For example... There, there are comic book movies that will be on my uh, my action adventure list that could have easily been on my sci-fi list. So you might hear some repeats this time around in the, in the 90s project. But Tunny, you get to kick it off with your number 10. So let's get it rolling, buddy. On Super Bowl Sunday, well, Tunny kicking it off. There's been a lot of Star Wars talk on this show. And my favorite. Here comes Pat. I love, I love it. This is awesome. This is why I'm so happy I got to go first. Because it is my favorite. I'm not saying it's the best Star Wars movie, but it is my favorite Star Wars movie. And The Phantom Menace kicks us off the 90s project. I got it higher. Number 10. Oh, Ray's got it higher. Holy shit. Sci-fi fantasy. And look at that. It's not just me. It's not just me. So who's next, Patrick? It's also my favorite. We're going to talk about that later at a more important part of the list. I love it. I love it, Pat. This is already starting off better than the 80s project. (laughs) Oh, boy. Dave... Dave, save the 90s project. This is already a disaster. Where's my my Welcome Back Otter soundtrack? Welcome back, Patrick. (laughs) My uh, my number 10. I get out of your starship. (laughs) Sorry. Go ahead. ahead. My number 10 is uh, Contact. Which is a oh, uh, Jody Foster. Jody Foster. Yeah, I, I I really enjoyed this movie. The concept of a, an alien race sending us messages, not just kind of in code, but a way kind of to create a teleporter and all that kind of stuff. And and just I, it just it's just a good movie to me. I just I enjoyed this one. I liked I like the concept of extraterrestrial contact and and how this kind of comes about. I know Pat's not digging this, but. To me, I, I, fucking I boring, dude. <laughs> sorry, I, I like the movie a lot. I thought Jodie Foster <laughs> turned in a good performance. I thought uh, I forget who wasn't Matthew McConaughey was that her love interest. And they're at odds a lot of the time. Yeah. And, and they're trying to recreate this. I forget what they call it, like the bridge or something like that. Um, and it's almost like they all think she's crazy because it's like, you know, it didn't work. And she's like, what do you mean? It didn't work. I was gone for like decades or some shit like that. Um, it's a it's a fascinating, interesting kind of take on the whole extraterrestrial thing, and it's like you know, yeah, what would happen if we did receive a radio message from another civilization with instructions as to how to reach us? Um, so I I really enjoyed the movie. It's number ten for me. Like you said, it's our list. It is our list. It's your list. And Ray, can you save it, the nineties project? Is Contact kind of like a rival with uh, Amy Adams? Sort of. Yes. It's, it's similar. Very similar. Okay, gotcha. Because I never heard of it before. So something I like I like Arrival, so I'll go back and watch that. Let me My know number you like 10, it, Ray. I will. I will. Um number one of these days I'm gonna join y'all on the um the the uh um, Hey Ray, hey, Ray have you watched Flash stuff. Gordon yet? Have you watched Flash Gordon yet? So anyway, you number like- ten. Um <laughs> no, I have not. Um but I will, I promise. 
Um, my number ten, I gave I gave the game away last week, and I meant that. I know we're doing we're doing an animation later on in this series, right? Yes. I don't care. My number ten well, is it'll be like kids. It'll be kids and family. Okay. Okay. Well, my number ten is a movie that has made a lasting impression on me, and that is Fern Gully. The I believe it's called The Last Rainforest. Yeah. I I love that movie. That movie meant something to me as a child. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, if you enjoy the movie Avatar, Fern Gully did it first. Yeah, I, I think really... that's fair. I, I, I think Fern Gully is one of the is Fern Gully a Don Bluth movie? I'm a big fan of Don Bluth, and and that's the one with Robin Williams as the bat, right? Michael Bluth? No, Don. Don Bluth. Directed Don by Bluth. Bill Croyer. And there's much, there's always much in the banana stand. But Robin Williams is, yes, Robin Williams is in it. Tim Curry is in it. Uh, Christian Slater. Samantha, Math- Samantha Mathis. And it's basically about fairies trying to save the rainforest. Because, you know, the big, big bad, the man is trying to tear down the rainforest. And right. they're trying to save their environment. Much just like Avatar is. But Fern Gully didn't make two billion dollars at the movie theaters. Nonetheless, no, Burn Gully is a fantastic movie, and for me as a kid, and and the love I have for animation, like that meant a lot to me as a kid. I I wasn't joking when I said that last week. I that is number oh, ten I'm on my waiting. list. It's a funny story because I was joking with the Mrs. O'Dowd about the Firm Gully statement, and Mrs. O'Dowd was like, "Well, why wouldn't it be on a list?" So you've got fantastic. the back. One, you've got the backing of Mrs. O'Dot, so you got you. That's a that's high praise, by the way, because Mrs. O'Dot does not just toss around compliments. So, I will uh, I'll allow it because it's your well, list. Well, thank you. So, my number ten is my severe bending of the rules because this movie was made in 1980, and that's Blade Runner. But Blade Runner, as it was released in the 1980s, is not what you got in 1992 when they released the Blade Runner director's cut. And I stand by this choice because it is a radically different movie than the one that was released in the 80s. If For those of you who saw the movie in the 80s, the studio hated Ridley Scott's original vision and made them change all kinds of different plot points. Uh, changed the narr- the narrative of the movie uh, to the point where they had they felt it was too confusing, so they had Harrison Ford go back and do voiceover narration of the movie, and it actually kind of made it clunky and a little slow. They got rid of a lot of these dream sequences that take out the kind of the high end concept of the film as to whether or not Harrison Ford's character is a replicant, and so. When it was released in 92 as this sort of definitive vision, even though it was made in the 80s and was released in the 80s, it was a completely different flick and is the superior version, in my opinion. And you you couldn't get that until, until the 90s. And so I still, to this day, remember when that movie came out and it changes everything. Edward James, almost his character, knowing, you know, kind of leaving a hint that he knows what's up with Harrison Ford choosing to let him live that's not in the original person there's so much that's not in the original version that then became out in the director's cut that to me it's a wholly different film and because it came out in the 90s i'm adding it to my top 10 90s sci-fi fantasy film list ray do you realize what movie patrick was describing what that sounds a lot like that's coming out next month no oh, you mean, snyder I, cut perhaps I mean, no, I, I think that 
when you have the a director's good director, cut. That's right. When you have a good director like Ridley Scott, <laughs> it's not about the Redux being re-released. It's about the shitty ass director who, I'm sorry, is trash. Don't take away Ridley Scott. Don't try to do this to me on my list. You don't get well, to troll. Well, no, you're right. Ridley Scott is a fantastic director. Yeah, However, what, say, your you description say, sounded a lot yeah, like the Snyder cut. Right. The, the same the rationale. 1980s, the 1980s movie, you said they didn't let him do what he wanted, so he redid it, and it was a different movie hmm. Hmm. go on to your number nine pat so so again will it be better and the answer is no we will anyway, find out next my, month my number nine is a movie that's smarter than it has any right to be and people often will disregard it as not a great film but I stand by it uh, to this day, and that's 1990s star, 1997's Starship Troopers, directed by Paul Verhoeven, known for his RoboCop film. It's based on a series of novels, has an extremely young cast of people like Casper Van Dien, Denise Richards, Neil Patrick Harris in a post Doogie Hauser uh, role. I need to change Craig- my list, man. NPH is on this. I got to change my list. <laughs> anyway, I it's a it's a it's a science fiction film based on an alien invasion where bugs like that's all they ever call them is bugs um, that sit there and basically try to destroy Earth, attack us unprovoked, and we and it's about the war and the battle to respond, and it's told told through the perspective of three high school students who enlist in the military and what you learn is that in this futuristic society it's basically one global government that is loaded with um, socialist propaganda basically and you can be a regular citizen or you can be or you can be a, a citizen or you can just be a person and citizens have more rights than people who just decide to live their lives and one of the ways that you can become a citizen is by enlisting in the military because you are then performing service to the greater good the federation and it's just it's very cleverly done it's very slick uh, and it has these great propaganda commercials in the middle of it about what to do to enlist and it's like this big rallying cry it is terrific and you all suck ass. Zack Snyder is terrible, and I can't wait for us to review this movie and talk about how bad it is when it airs on HBO Max, because that's what we're going to do. That's my number nine. It's an underrated Ready? movie. It's it's my one of my honorable mentions, but I, I yeah, I got to kind of agree with you, Pat. This this is, this is a movie that doesn't get a lot of credit, and it was a lot more it's clever than it's... Smart. Yeah. Michael, Michael Ironside as like the grizzled teacher slash military commander... Uh, Clancy Brown is the drill sergeant. Jake Busey's in it. Uh, Rue McClanahan is a te- is one of the is a teacher who's like teaching them the anatomy of bugs at the very beginning. It's it's outstanding. Great great stuff. Ray, what's your number nine, sir? Like my background? I hate it, but that's okay. <laughs> my number nine, I believe you have higher on your list, but it is the uh, beautiful movie known as The Green Mile. Yeah, it's higher on my list. Higher on mine so, too. So I did. Uh, my number, Dang. my number nine is. <clears throat> there were a couple of disaster movies, end of the world movies that came out in the nineties. This I thought was the better of them. It's Armageddon. Um, it's higher. It's higher on higher. Ray's. Okay. Yeah. 
Oh no, I don't have it. <clears throat> don't have it. Keep going. I'm sorry, I took it off. Oh, okay. So Ray had it was it. On, it was on my list. Yeah. So I mean, Armageddon is just um, you know, Deep Impact was the other movie that came out. Deep Impact wasn't nearly the movie that Armageddon was, but Armageddon's got a, a really solid cast. The cast of characters who actually have to go and land on this asteroid to save the Earth is fantastic. You know, you got Bruce Willis. You've got a young Ben Affleck before he, you know, kind of did whatever he did on Batman. They're in conflict with each other over Bruce Willis's daughter. It, it's cleverly done. It got so many people thinking. And to this day, every, every time an asteroid comes within two million light years of the Earth, people start fucking freaking out. And it's like, oh. We got to get Bruce Willis up there on an oil rig and, and get this thing under control. Um, you know, and, and it's great at the end where he sac- I mean, a cup. Well, he sacrifices himself. And um, I, I love the movie. It's a fantastic movie. I I greatly enjoyed it. It's one of those. I mean, it had a lot of all the special effects. It had everything going on. Armageddon's number nine for me. I think it's, Steve's it's funny because I oh, think Steve Semi gives a really underrated performance in there. He's yes. very comedically effective in that movie. Him and uh, Michael Taylor Duncan was in there. He was a uh, bear. Mark, Michael, Michael Taylor Duncan. Clark. Sorry. Got the name. You still got it wrong. <laughs> Michael Clark Duncan. Thank you. I got it all backwards. But he um, he put, turned in a good performance as bear. Some of the other guys, there were some other guys in, in that movie as well who uh, turned in really good performance. I thought Liv Tyler did really well. One of her better roles other than Arwen in Lord of the Rings. That, that was her thing. first role, wasn't it? I don't know if it was nope, that or em- was it Empire Records? Her- was wasn't that her first one? Empire Records was definitely before Armageddon, but that was her best. So I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Here's the thing: I actually prefer Deep Impact over, um, hmm. over hmm. Armageddon. Hmm. I do. There, Morgan, President Morgan, well, Morgan, President Morgan, Morgan Freeman. Freeman. Yeah, which then Dave Chappelle beautifully parodied later on in the Chappelle Show when the aliens arrive. But. uh and I love it because Morgan Freeman's whole whole role in that movie was to stand in front of the press and be like, "Ladies and gentlemen, our plan to do blah 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 has failed." <laughs> and, and like that's his whole that's his whole, yeah. like every time. Just, I have nothing one, for you. Oh. Good luck. That's right. <laughs> basically uh, it. I, I know it's interesting because like, yeah, I prefer I preferred the cast. Uh, it's a Michael Bay movie. I think is part of the is part of the thing, and it's just it's done with so much more like ridiculous sort of bombast and whatever. And there was something about like both of them are hokey films. I don't want to pretend like either one of them is like a bastion of of science fiction or quality. But there was a, a little bit more, in my opinion, reputable feeling science in in Deep Impact over Billy Bob Thornton be you know describing what's going to happen when an asteroid hits us. Like I think I think that Armageddon is flashier. I think that Deep Impact is better, but that's me. It, they're they're very but, close. Plus it doesn't. Plus it doesn't have a you know a dope overplayed Aerosmith song to to go with it. Um, unlike Armageddon, which good lord, and can you guys remember when that video was just on every yep in it yep. of the day? Just you flip between MTV and VH1, and there it was. Is, Kids, isn't once upon a time. Music videos isn't it, too. Isn't it true that's the whole reason why Liv got the job was be, was because they wanted Aerosmith to do the song, and he said, "Well, I'll do it if you cast my daughter." Maybe I don't know. Maybe I've never I've never ever looked into that. So, uh, but it wouldn't surprise me. Nepotism in Hollywood is real. No, uh, I know. Shocking, right? Just like uh, 
Yeah, I, I, I'm not. I'm not going to go that far. I'm going to hand it over to Tony to give us his number nine, followed by his number eight. Yeah, Tony, you, got. you don't want to close your eyes. Go with number nine. <clears throat> Have you guys ever seen a movie called Cube? Oh yeah, that oh, is yeah. my number nine. And basically, the premise is: I think there's five or six people who don't know each other, all with different skill sets, ranging from like a scientist to an architect to. Uh, this is not just the faces of DP, by the way. This is actually true. Um, it, then there's uh, an autistic gentleman and things of that nature, a one-time cop, and they don't know how they got into this giant cube of rooms. And you can go up, down, left, or right. There's Some of them are booby-trapped. It's very intense. There's very little dialogue. It, it is is also a horror movie, but it makes you think. It's it's just fun. They have to figure out these patterns. And in the end, I think the autistic one is the only one that's left. And you really don't know where they are and how how this was made, but it's a very intense film. That's my number nine cube. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's one of those, that's one of those that straddles, straddles, straddles the sci-fi genre a lot. It's so, so good. And, uh, my, my best friend in college, like he was obsessed with that movie cube Two, Not nearly as good. No, definitely not. Definitely not. All right. My number eight, my number eight is bicentennial man. Hmm. With Robin Williams, it's just a great story where a family buys this robot and it befriends this child, the youngest child of the family, played by Robin Williams. And the the robot does not grow old with the family. The family grows old with the robot. Um, And they soon realize that they don't have an ordinary robot. They have a Robin Williams robot. So <laughs> hey, Robin it's, Williams. it's it's a fun it's a fun movie it's it's a good family movie as well and I think it's a really interesting concept. Nice one, Tony. Nice one, Tony. Uh, my number uh, eight. My number eight is Total Recall. Nobody's got it higher. Okay, cool. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, not not the remake where they did, which just was trash. Uh, this one was really good. I noticed that wasn't made in the nineties. Yeah. What. The, the new one with Colin. Oh, no, no, right, Carol. right. No, this this one was uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, basically some, I mean, there's so many plot twists to this whole movie, and it's kind of hard to follow, and it's one of those ones that doesn't make a whole lot of sense until the very, very end, uh, but it's got enough intrigue going on as to try to keep you involved as, okay, what the hell is actually happening? Who's really the bad guy? Who's really the good guy? They keep you guessing. I like movies like that that just keep you on your toes until the very end. And you're never really sure as to what's going on. Arnold turns in an Arnold esque performance from the nineties, which was, you know, pretty common at that point in time. You could, he was a real cookie cutter with his performances, but it's effective here. It's a good story. There's the science science fiction element, the stuff about colonizing Mars, intriguing, all that sort of stuff. But I, I always enjoyed this movie. Uh, the scene where he's pulling that fucking probe out of his nose is very uncomfortable to watch, even to this day. Total Recall is right. my number eight. That's the second Paul Verhoeven movie on our list, uh, on our list too, by the way, because Paul Verhoeven also directed that one. Yeah. Known for it, and he really is known for his body horror sort of elements like if you look at like robocop like literally a dude explodes after getting hit by a car wrapped in toxic waste Uh, there's all kinds of it in total recall same thing with uh with starship troopers like just it's he's he's an unapologetically gory director as well and like i said surprisingly smart good choice i like it that brings it to to the reverend it's that time number eight Star Wars Episode One, 
the Phantom Minutes. I, hold on, hold on. I'm just going to go mute myself, walk away from the conversation for a minute, and get some more water. You guys go ahead and talk. I'll be back in a moment. Okay. Well, I mean, we can wait for you. <laughs> um, no, um, I, I, I think Tony will agree with me that nobody is saying this is the best Star Wars movie ever made. I just think... For me, in my time period, this meant a lot to me. This is the this is the only movie my actual birth father ever took me to. Um, this movie is came out around the time when my interest and my 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 interest was peaked at the highest um, at sci-fi to start getting into stuff like that. But also, I think the movie is dope. I think the movie is really cool. You get to kind of see this is the first if you're going in order of the episodes. This is the first in line. So you get to kind of get to see where everything goes. You get to see Anakin as a kid and where he comes from. You get to see why, where CP3O comes from. You get to see um, Sidious and Darth Maul and kind of the the original battle between the Sith and the Jedi and how that's all starting. Uh, um, what's my man name? Uh, Liam Neeson was Quijon. What's his name? Qui-Gon Jinn. Qui-Gon. Qui-Gon Jinn. Thank you. Uh, you get to see him get sick of young ass Ewan McGregor until and then eventually you can see Ewan McGregor get sick of young ass Anakin. And like you get to see where all this comes from. And my favorite part of the movie, my boy Sam Jackson and the purple lightsaber told them boys, don't train Anakin. Look what happened. Fantastic movie. Really enjoy it. But in terms of personally to me, it means a lot to me personally. Um, I don't think it's the best Star Wars film. I don't even think it's in the top three, maybe, in terms of, like, best, but it is my favorite. Not even close. I think it's important to realize that this movie makes my list because it had been 16 years since Star Wars had been released in a movie theater from Return of the Jedi, and we didn't know if there was ever going to be Star Wars again, right? Everybody knew there were more stories to be told on both sides of what we had seen. So this really kicks off... I don't know, the momentum that we actually see today with all these extra chapters and stories being added on to the original things that were happening. So uh, to me, it's significant in that light. And I agree with Ray. It's not the best, but I'm entertained by it. And that's why it was on my list. In terms, and of, it's important. Hype, in terms of hype for a movie? Oh, yeah. I mean, like you're saying, Tony, it had been 16 years. When they announced the release of episode one, I mean, the the excitement was palpable worldwide. And yeah, I mean, I saw the movie like fucking five times in the movies when it came out. I even took clients to this movie once, you know, when I, when I first became an attorney, it's like, Hey, let's go check this out. It doesn't change the fact that there are myriad problems with the movie that just can't be overcome. In my opinion, Pat's raising his hand. I'm sure he's got some. I'm going to do this quickly. There are three things that I love about the Phantom Menace. Liam Neeson, the pod race, Darth Maul versus Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Qui-Gon Jinn. The movie also single-handedly killed the careers of two actors. Ahmed Best nearly killed himself over it because of the criticism he got from Jar Jar Banks. That's fair. That's Jake a fair criticism. Jake, Jake Lloyd hates anything to do with Star Wars anymore because of how bad that movie was and how harsh people were on him. And he's actually, in my opinion, worse than Jar Jar. Like, a lot of people complain about Jar Jar Banks. I never had a problem with Jar Jar Banks. I hate the way Jake Lloyd is in that movie. Like, it is portrayed in the movie. And it's it feel bad because if you watch him in Jingle All the Way, he's, he's a cute kid in Jingle All the Way with Arnold. He's having a great time. But he was terrible. 
Um, the way they fundamentally changed the force. There's just a lot of things that, again, an old man like me and an old man like Dave, who are raised on the original trilogy, who, as Tony turns, yeah, yeah, that's fine. It just, it, it just, it was, and it, here's the thing is when that movie came out, I went and saw it on premiere. Not, I saw it like multiple times in the theater and I tried to tell myself that it was good. Like, and it's taken me a long time to be like, man, this movie ain't very good. Like, I hate this. P.S. listeners, get off of Patrick's lawn. (laughs) Watch good Star Wars stuff. And can't you argue that it's those original trilogyers, if I can call them that, that are the ones that ran away? Ewan McGregor and Natalie Portman and Kelly Marie Tran and John Boyega because it wasn't my Star Wars? Wait, Ewan McGregor was run away? He's... About to do a series for Disney Plus about. Right, but remember for the not Ewan McGregor. Um, who's the kid that played Anakin when he got older? Oh, Jake Lloyd. Hayden Christensen. Jay, yeah, no, Hayden Christensen is. Oh, one Hayden Christensen. Yeah. Uh, th- I mean, that's a whole that's a whole different conversation that we've He's had about coming fame. back as well. Hayden, hey, we have, well, that, that Disney money loan, bro. <laughs> fan, fandom fandom does some bad things to people in general, and and I actually you know there's a whole other conversation about how what. How much of art does the fan own? But that's neither here nor there. I can't deny that I didn't go see that movie. I can't deny that I don't own it next door in my collection of discs because I'm an old man and I still get discs. I I can't deny that I don't watch it when I like I watch them all the way through, and that there were some good things that came out of that film. I just as it's for me, it hasn't aged well. For me, it's gotten worse, and, and I get I actually get irritated. Almost as much as I get irritated by The Last Jedi. Or not The Last Jedi, The Rise of Skywalker. I love The Last Jedi. Oh, you had it right the first time. You get irritated by The Last Jedi. (laughs) Drake. All right, so that makes it my number eight, right? Is that where we are? Is this taking this long? My number eight is uh, Bruce Willis' time travel film, 12 Monkeys, with Bruce Willis and Brad Pitt, uh, where he is a prisoner in the future who is presented with the opportunity to stop a plague that has led to the dystopian future that he's living in. And it is a fascinating psychological movie uh, featuring time loops. And there's a lot going on. That is a movie that every time I watch it, I have to like stop and rewatch it. Like it's never, it's never the type of movie where I can just walk out of it and be like, Oh yeah, I get it. I always have to be like, what did I just watch? It's very, very dense. It's very, very good. And is, is another one of those that is easily forgotten, but I think one of the best sci-fi movies of the decade. How many people watched that? Remember when the pandemic hit and everybody was watching shit like outbreak 28 days later, 12 right. monkeys, I'm sure 12 monkeys was did. huge. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, is it's not even about a play. Like it, you, the big twist is that there is no plague. So it was good stuff. I loved it. It's a, it's a complicated movie, but it's excellent. Good call. Very much so. So that'll move us into our number seven. And my number seven was mentioned earlier on a list and maybe higher up because I haven't heard it yet, I don't think. And that's the Green Mile. Are we still moving up? That's still higher? Higher on mine. Yeah, still higher on Dave's list. So that'll take us back to the Reverend for your number seven. And my number seven is also higher on Pat's list. It's Edward Scissorhands. Excellent. And higher on Tony's list. So that moves us over to Dave. Dave, you're number seven, sir. My number seven is a movie that's kicked off a pretty successful franchise. It's still going today in some respects. It's uh, the original Men in Black. 
Higher on a couple of we're just Tony's plowing so, through oh, this. Look, all right, we're, up, all right. We're, hitting so our, we're hitting our stride, Pat. Tony, number seven. My number seven is also a Bruce Willis movie, and it is The Fifth Element with Bruce Willis, Mila Jovovich, Chris Tucker. Is that higher on anybody else's list? I no. took it off right before the show started. I see Dave smirk, and I see Patrick put his hands together like Mr. Burns. So go ahead, Patrick. If you want to tear this movie down, why don't you do that before I talk about all the good things I enjoyed? I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to talk too much, but I was waiting for somebody to say the Fifth Element. I hate the Fifth Element. I passionately hate that movie. It, I went and saw that in the theater with my family, and if my family weren't wouldn't have been there, I would have walked out of the theater. I hated it so much. I and that's all I'll say. I can't. It's up there. It's up there in my level of it. And, and I'll and I'll start with Chris Tucker annoys the shit out of me. Uh, I found the whole story stupid. I found it predictable. I found it trite. I found it dumb. And go ahead and talk about how much you love it because I, I can't I can't run it down too much. I'm not as intellectually intelligent as Patrick is, so stupid me was able to enjoy this movie. What do you want me to say after you just tore a brand new one? I mean, come on. To me, yeah. once again, it's not along the, one of the lines of the greatest written stories ever, but I thought it was entertaining and I enjoyed the actors that were in it. Here's uh, Here was what was the nail in the coffin for me. It was billed as the second coming of Star Wars. Like when it was when it was advertised, like its moniker and everything that it was it was shared about, like that comparison was made, and it 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 wasn't, and I I hated it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This is your list, and I, I'm not supposed to be let's, the guy. I'm so judge let's right now. Six. Let's move forward here. Let's make let's some, maybe something. Let's let's maybe we can pick something that will. Pat, Patrick, do you like Taco Bell? Because in this movie, it was the only restaurant left uh, in, the, in the fucking world. I'm I do talking, like this movie very much. Demolition Man. I very much enjoyed this movie. Uh, Wesley Snipes, Sylvester Stallone, uh, Dennis Leary, I believe, is the leader of the underground people. Okay. Uh, obviously, Sandy Bullock. Uh, Sandy Bullock and Sylvester Stallone have one of the most interesting sexual encounters in movie history. Um, <laughs> and also, uh, a young Benjamin Bratt is is an officer along with Sandra Bullock. I, the, to me, the best part is when they get in the car and they just – they're playing a station that plays old commercials, and that's entertaining to them. Uh, but it's just a really interesting concept, all they freeze the people and everything like that. So overall, the movie was a huge success. I mean, like I said, Taco Bell made a ton of mo- money off of it. They're prominently featured in the movie. So I don't know if anybody else enjoyed that movie. doesn't know how to use the three seashells. Yes. <laughs> Rob Schneider as the, as the receptionist. Uh, was also one of one of my favorites, and the way they do a high five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love that movie. I love it. Wesley Snipes is so underrated in that movie, and loved him to death when he uh, when he fires the gun that charges up, like and he gets out of the museum, and he's just like, "Oh my god, I love this gun!" Oh, it's so great. He was he was hilarious. Uh, got to channel some of that Willie Mays Hayes character into his villain character. It was great stuff. So my number six, is that where we are? Uh, my number six is the Green Mile. You guys mentioned it earlier. Uh, Green Mile is, is definitely a mix of sci-fi fantasy with a little tiny bit of what? 
horror thrown in there because it is a Stephen King novel. Uh, but it's it's fantastic. I mean, Tom Hanks is fantastic. The story is is just so good about this inmate who you know has this healing power to do all this all this stuff. But and and it gets great at the end where you realize that he's innocent the whole time, but yet he's so burdened by his own the the impact of his own power that he chooses to die anyway. It's 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 fascinating movie. Uh, a great story by Stephen. It's one of the few ones where the movie might have been a touch bit better than how the book was portrayed. Uh, it's and I, I signal the cast out on that one. I mean, they really carried that movie, but it's it's fantastic. I love the movie. Uh, yeah, it ranks real high for me. Number six. So I'm a very emotional guy. I mean, we've already we we talked about this. Like movies, like I was fucking bawling at the end of that movie and it's like it's a fantasy by the way it's not a it's not a sci sci-fi film at all it is it is a fantasy film in the truest sense and it's the belief in magic and the magic of michael clark duncan's character who we've now dropped about four movies that he's in i think on on this list so far today and and to me what I found to be the most fascinating or not fascinating, but like to go back and watch now and to also just catch Stephen King encapsulating the racism of the time with that character. Uh, Cause it's very much a, it's also an homage to, in my opinion, to kill a mockingbird mm-hmm. uh, where the, mm-hmm. the white, the white family accusing the black person and, and that just being like that was just accepted and how it goes. It was great. And the the book, Dave, what I found cool about the book is Stephen King released it periodically in six parts, five or six parts, um, which was a very clever way to make cash, but was also like it didn't like you bought it in volumes and eventually then they put it together as a complete work. It's it's yeah, it's terrific, terrific, terrific movie. So many quotables come out of that movie. So many um, memorable moments come out of that movie. Um, we spoke. You said we spoke a lot about Michael Clark Duncan as an actor coming up, but I think this is the movie that made I think America fall in love with him. Um, and yeah, you know, come coming from where I come from and who I am, the the, the racial undertones and the and the the racial um, kind of out kind of the the outlook of the movie really encapsulated me and my family and so yeah but bawling at the end of this movie no matter when i watched it as as i was a kid or even now when i watch it as a grown man it's just it it is a very guttural movie and it's a beautiful movie in a sense which often is hard to walk that line right it's hard to walk that line of being extremely emotional and guttural but yet have a beautiful story and a beautiful point behind it and so yeah fantastic choice Excellent, excellent. And I think that then transitions to you, Ray, for your number six. Yes, sir. So um, I, I think as we've gotten to know each other, you guys kind of have learned I have a very big, um, I have a very big thing for villains. I love bad guys. I've always been a fan of heels or villains or antagonists and whatnot. Uh, yeah, there you go, right? Um, so my number six is probably the coolest villain I think I ever saw. And that's Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Higher on my list. Okay. 
And it looks like everybody's list. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. on everybody's list, so that'll tell you where that's gone. My number six, and I already got mentioned once, uh, is uh, uh, Tim Burton's Edward Scissorhands. Uh, is it higher up on Dave's, higher up on Tony's? Well, look and at so that. Just scooting on, huh? We are. We are scooting along. But before we scoot along into our top fives, I do want to say we got to take a quick commercial break, uh, get some of the sponsors in there. So when we come back, we will bring you our top five sci-fi fantasy films of the 1990s you're listening to bandwagon nerds on the Chairshot radio network a part of the chairshot.com say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill all right, welcome back. We are here to bring in the final five, our top five fantasy and sci-fi films of the 90s, part of the 90s project. And I got to tell you, we've been moving along quite a bit. It's going to be exciting because I think we're all going to get to sort of pontificate about some really, really great films. And we kick it off with my number five, another Tim Burton movie. Uh, I mentioned Edward Scissorhands is my six, and we'll talk about that later. But Mars Attacks, first of all, any of you ever? I, I'm not seeing it on any of your lists. This is another movie that I rank right up there with Starship Troopers as a grossly underrated film because of just how freaking smart it is. It's made in 1996, and you name an actor that was big at the time, and they were probably in it: Jack Black, Jack Nicholson. Um, oh gosh, Tom Jones is in it. Jim Brown is in it. Football player Jim Brown. Uh, former, you know, Cleveland great, who uh, Glenn Close, Annette Bening, Pierce Brosnan, Danny DeVito, Martin Short, so Michael J. Fox, oh, just just a terrific cast of characters, Natalie Portman, and it's this goofy ass invasion that that is a, a, a political skewering of the world in the nineties and 96 Jack Nicholson's kind of an idiot. Like it's, it's a, it's a mockery of warmongering. It's a mockery of make love, not war. Like I think my favorite part of the whole film is when the, when the Martians first land and they send a, this general up to, uh, to be the one who's greedy. He's chosen. Cause he's like this general who doesn't speak up and he's a black guy. And he's like, talking on the phone and he's like and it's like i said dear if i just keep my mouth shut good things will happen and he goes up and they've got this this scientist who thinks that he's translated what the martians say and so they go up there the martian says something and it translates to we come in peace and this hippie looking dude is sitting there and he's like they come in peace and he throws a dove up in the air the aliens look at it and then one of them pulls out a gun and vaporizes it and wipes out the entire army that's there. And they keep trying to like believe that they're coming peacefully. Uh, there's a moment where they come to speak before Congress and they, they wipe out Congress. And this old lady in a nursing home just starts dying laughing. She's like, they blew up Congress. And it's like the greatest thing ever. And it's so good. It's a funny ass movie. Watch it take some time. It's Tim Burton at his absolute best, in my opinion. You know, in, in a different way from Edward Scissorhands, we'll talk about later, but still just a great, great film. And I can't recommend it enough. Check it out. 
So, um, my number, in fact, I think my top five movies might be the biggest movies of the, of the decade. Um, but my, my number five is, um, my personal favorite actor and like a role that he killed. And it's actually a comic book movie. Um, men in black. Higher on Tunnies. So moving to my number five, it's, uh, the other Tim Burton movie that you guys were talking about. It's Edward Scissorhands at number five. Yep, it's also my number five. Ah, see, best friends Next. strike well, again, I mean, man. All come together. Uh, I mean, yeah, this one's more on the fantasy side, certainly than science fiction. I would, I would definitely say. I, I mean, you're never really sure what Edward is. That's the fun part. It's like he's got the Frankensteinish quality. As you're not, you know, did Vincent Price make him? How did he come to life? But wrapped around that, it, it's it. There's a love story involved. It, it's about accepting somebody who's a little bit. Well, not a little bit, a lot different than anybody else. It's about Edward learning about, you know, human society and that sort of thing. Uh, it's it's very clever in so many ways. I was stunned, like, talking to my wife this morning. She's like, I've seen it once. I was like, you are such a Johnny Depp mark that I can't believe you've only seen this movie, like, one time. It's fantastic. I, it, it's, it's like a lot of stuff you're talking about, Pat, like Mars Attacks and Starship Troopers is very clever, underrated as far as how clever it is. Um, it's a different kind of... T- I mean, it's got Tim Burton's fingerprints all over it, but it kind of plays out a little bit differently as it goes along. Um, and it, even at the end, where you're, the whole thing is like, is, is Edward still up there? And, you know, it's snowing in this place where it usually doesn't snow because he's still doing all those great ice sculptures. Uh, absolutely love the movie. Fantastic stuff. It's, a, it's really a romance uh, uh, love story, too, yes. if you think about it. Um, I seen this in the theater, so I was not even a teenager yet when I went. And I remember being entertained and laughing and also being scared at the same time, being that young of an age. So it's just a really well done movie that doesn't use anything that would make it hard for an entire family to watch. Right. It's Tim Burton and his use of Gothicism and Gothic art is well on display here and in so many terrific ways like because it's a commentary on suburbia too right like this castle this weird dark castle that's like at the end of this suburb looking like town but like all these houses are exactly the same and edward comes in and he challenges that reality and at the same time you know him and and winona Ryder's character fall in love Anthony and Michael Hall, by the way, in a completely role that we a role that we'd never seen him before. Like he'd always been the gawky, nerdy dude, and here he's a tough guy, bully, very much like um, what's that other movie that he did, Johnny Be Good, where he's a he's a he's like a star athlete. I think that's him that's in that movie. But um, yeah, it's it's beautiful. And Vincent Price's last on screen role, like that's the last time we would see Vincent Price before he passed away. You raise and, a great uh, point. I, I'm sorry, Pat. Go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. No, that was just that was that was it for Vince when Price. You, when you mentioned Anthony Michael Hall, he in a lot of ways in, in is a symbolism of the transition from the 80s to the 90s. When you look at him from 16 Candles and Breakfast Club, and then you look at him in this movie, and then later on in uh, what Batman Begins or The Dark Knight, so you see his progression of character. So this looking at him just standing alone is kind of the progression of where we were in the 80s to what now we're getting in the 90s a, 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 a it's definitely darker it's more mature it's more adult and a lot of the innocence has been lost and this movie 
captures a lot of that. Absolutely. Ray, did you have did you have anything to add? Was it on your it was on yours too, right? It was my number seven. Yeah, you guys hit it perfectly. But um yeah, it is I mean, as a kid, and mind you, I'm the youngest on the panel, he terrified the shit out of me. <laughs> but he but there was something about him that I think he was so gentle, knowing even though he was so dangerous and he could just do anything to you at a at a at a you know a moment's notice. And so, like, even though you were scared, you, like, there was something about you that was drawn to him. Um, but you guys said it all perfectly. Yeah, I, it's, 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 there's very few movies that you can't help but not pay attention to. You know, like, every movie has its interest, but, like, this movie, if it's on your screen and you see this shit, you're like, what is this? And it's almost like a car crash, but, like, not in a, in a bad way. It's, but it's beautiful. Like, it's yeah. just it's shot. Um, the stories people and it and I do think that a lot of it comes from Johnny Depp's portrayal of Edward and his mm-hmm. innocence. Like mm-hmm. he's so innocent that he doesn't even recognize when people are trying to manipulate him. Yeah, and, and use him. It's so it's very it's a very, very good film. So excellent choice and it, it's no accident that it's on everybody's list. So and I think that brings us Tony to your four, right? Yes, and I'm fairly certain that the last four movies we talk about here are going to be the biggest blockbusters that were released yeah, at the sort biggest of, time. Sort of sh- shooting around in different orders. Actually, yeah. my number four might not be. I'm pretty well, sure it's not. I know, there's, I know there's four movies left that we're going to talk about that are not just on my list here, and we'll start with Men in Black. Does anybody have it higher? I, no. Yeah, I didn't have it on my list. That, I mean, that movie, like, that's got to be... I know Independence Day probably made Will Smith a superstar, but Men in Black pretty much solidified that he was going to be a box office sensation. What Bad, Bad Boys do? Bad Boy, Bad Boys made him a, a a superstar. Independence Day, but Men in Black proved he'd be funny. Yeah, I mean, him and Tommy Lee Jones was perfectly cast together. Those guys did an excellent job. Ray, you're kind of breaking up there for a minute. Go ahead, Ray. Yeah, no, I I, I blipped. Um, I believe if I'm if I'm forgive me if I'm wrong, but Bad Boys was first. That's the movie that proved proved that he could be a star. I think. And then the uh, I remember had, what was the role he had in the movie before that, where he was. I think he played a gay character. And he yeah. Was, oh my God! I just remember that was like really where they decided that he could do more than just a sitcom on television. Yeah. 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 I'll find the movie for you, but go ahead, keep talking. Yeah, I was like, I'm I'm clicking his uh, his acting credits right now. So, but you talk about Men in Black and how it just you know that turned into you know I think you go to Burger King and you get a Men in Black meal or something like that, and it was just insane. You know, you you get the you get how many iterations afterwards that he's not even in. Go ahead. Six Ray. degrees of se- six degrees of separation. Yeah. yeah, I was about to say that. I just found that too. But yeah, I mean, I just a good time, and then you get you get the song from it too, and I think everybody appreciated the suits and the shades. So you know, it was just well done on screen. A good fun movie. I'm I'm I may be wrong because again, I'm I know I'm the youngest on on the on the panel here, but I do believe this may be one of the first times where the the song to a movie was as integral to the movie as the movie. Am I wrong? I, I think I think it's one of those. Oh, it's it's absolutely yeah, Ghostbusters. Okay, Ghostbusters. but but Ghostbusters wasn't the number one song in the country, right? But since but but since Ghostbusters, this was the next thing that did it yeah. in that kind of way. Right. And it's funny because it's almost the same kind of movie. 
Yeah. And and I and I think also it is actually come think about it, they are damn near the same kind of movie. But also I think, you know, Will Smith just exuded cool back in the day. I mean oh, yeah. Look, his first five movies, and I know Wild Wild West is, a, is whatever it is, but I mean, Bad Boys, Independence Day, Men in Black, Enemy movie? of the State. Huh? Was Wild Wild West in the 90s? 1999. Yeah. Oh, man, I might have to change my number one. Hey, I I yes. love that movie personally, but I know it's trash. I liked it. I liked it. Um, but Men in Black is fantastic. It's hilarious. It's not uh, Phantom Menace trash. Hey, well, <laughs> can we talk about how underrated of a role Tommy Lee Jones is in that movie. I love Tommy Lee Jones. They are, they are the perfect, they are the perfect yin and yang of each other. I mean, you've got the ultra cool Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, who's the drier, very clinical, very methodical in his approach to something that should be so far out there to anybody's you know way of handling anything. Alien interaction, alien you know, alien control. We got to control this stuff. He was yeah, I agree with you, Ray. Underrated as hell. And I, I don't think the movie works without a guy like Tommy Lee Jones to counter what Will's doing. Completely agree. I, uh, I hated that they lost Linda Fiorentino after the first movie, though. I, I liked her character in the first one and the, and the second. I admit it, Men in Black would have been like an all. If we'd done a top 20, Men in Black would have been on mine. But uh, I just, it's kind of like, you know, at some point you got you to gotta cut it off. And I felt like Blade Runner needed to be on there. Wait, wait till wow. we get to... Uh... Wait till, we get the 90s. Wait till we get the 90s comedies movies. If you think this list God, is God, I, I don't know how I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm going to have to cheat. I'm going to have to do that bend the rules where you pick an actor <laughs> instead of a movie. Or just be like, project. here's my, my number 10 is, but here's my 34 honorable mentions before that. <laughs> Every Eddie Murphy movie ever. That was basically my, Eddie's, my 80s project comedy point for his, because he couldn't pick one Eddie Murphy movie. So yeah, no, I I love Men in Black. Men in Black's a good one. Is it to me? Is that where we Dave, are? Dave's oh, Dave or Dave? Drink, Patrick. That's your first time you messed up the order, so you got to. I know, right? You're doing well in your return. I don't think anybody's, uh, dr- I don't think anybody's drinking today. My number four. You guys have mentioned it going around talking about Will Smith. Uh, I heard it at least three or four times. It's Independence Day. It's, That's my four as well. So all right, ahead. awesome, Ray. I, I mean, this is this this movie. I remember seeing this thing. What was I? I when was it? When did this come out? Like ninety six, ninety? I don't know. Ninety seven. So I remember we were studying for the studying for the bar exam, the California bar exam. We got done with like an eight hour study session, and me and the guy I was studying with went with my, I think it was my first wife. Where's my present wife? She doesn't need to hear that. But we went to see. Ah. We went to see. Uh, oh, there she is. Oh, she just flicked me off. Sorry, babe. Uh, but we went to see Independence Day in the theaters, and I mean. The movie is, it's so clever what they do with this thing because it, 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 this is a time in the wake of stuff like E.T. and things like that where aliens were nice. They were our friends. They were peaceful. And then Independence Day comes along and flips that completely around to kind of get in your head, hey, if these guys show up, they might not be nice and they might just want to annihilate us for our natural resources. And it's great just the the overwhelming sense of it's over it's done it's hopeless we can't beat this and then jeff goldblum's character figures it out will smith is fantastic bill pullman as the president was great uh there's so much in this movie i mean uh 
Judd, uh, who was it? Was it not Judd Hirsch? Judd Hirsch. Judd Hirsch, yes. thank you. Yeah. One of my all-time favorite actors. I what love that What a fantastic movie. performance. Like putting the most stereotypy of stereotypy Jews on the planet. Which, I can, which I can relate to as being one, so I can say that's a good per- 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 good portrayal of one. Dave, a- absolutely. There, Dave Dungar uh, identifying with the, the Jewish stereotype. There I can relate. Go. I can relate. Oy vey. You, you, were talking about, you were talking about clever things that were done with this movie. One of the things that was clever kind of it was funny because it was kind of roll your eyes clever but at the same time i I remember i went and saw it released on independence day weekend and they released it july 2nd and so if you went and saw it on july 2nd they had a tile that popped up before the movie said july 2nd and and laid the groundwork and so like it flashed and so people went and saw it on the 4th of july just because they knew what the deal was with i saw it on the third i remember seeing it on july 3rd with my buddy ryan and i remember yeah i remember like oh that's that's clever look at that uh i also remember walking out of that being like man they really want you to blindly chant usa when you're done like, <laughs> we did it usa bill pullman's speech at the end regardless of how you feel about any country or whatever is one of the greatest movie speeches I've ever heard in my life. Because even I was like, oh shit, I'm going to the damn Air Force. Like, it gets you so pumped up. Um, Randy, but Quaid. We just talked about- Randy Quaid's character. <laughs> Randy Quaid's fantastic. We just talked about how Will and um, oh god, who Tommy Lee talk Jones. About? Tommy Lee Jones is perfect. Will and Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum is great. Those two together, and I love the quips. Like, there are so, it's, it's so the movie's so quippy, but in a, like, it's almost Marvel-esque in that it's quippy and hilarious in a very serious setting that makes sense. Um, and to this point, to, to this day, my, every time the movie comes out, my mom calls me and makes me watch it with it. Like, because this is her favorite movie. Because this movie resonated with her so much, and she remembers every single part. Uh, fantastic movie. Um, Will Smith is the man. If I could do a top ten Will Smith, I would. Like, Will Smith is the man to me. And we should never, ever mention the sequel. Never. Never mention the sequel, okay? You don't like it? No. Get off Dave's conversation. It's a conversation to talk, to talk I'll, about. I'll have one. to watch it again. Just for, If you like it, Ray, then that convinces me to watch it a second time. Because I gave it, up after the first. Again, it's not bad. It's redeeming. It has good points. But I think the movie, it was going to fail already if Will Smith wasn't in it. So, yes. Right. That it's yeah, it, it already lost a lot of people because of that. Can, I'm sorry. Can Matt. I just can I just establish that one of the only problems I had with Independence Day is that every time Bill Pullman did show up on the screen, I wanted to yell Lone Star. That's <laughs> Lone Star. Like I just I I couldn't I couldn't help it. But no, I yeah, I I it's another one for, I maybe I have a Will Smith bias because I have no Will Smith movies in my in my top ten sci-fi and fantasy movies. Uh, for the record, I love your number four movie. I think your number four movie is a fucking fantastic movie. Excellent. I think is it is it's, it's your turn though, Ray, or is it my turn? Did you do it? Ray's is the Drake. same as mine. There's two. That's what it was. You two matched up. My number four is uh, is another fantasy. It's Pleasantville, no. uh, starring Tobey Maguire, or not Tobey Maguire. Um, I, I get him. I always get him and fucking Frodo confused. Um, Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood, yes. Toby McGuire, wasn't it? <laughs> it is Toby McGuire. It's Toby Toby McGuire and Reese Witherspoon. Mm-hmm. Um, 
with some great performances by William H. Macy and Joan Allen, um, Jeff Daniels. And it's this, it's this, again, it's this story about seeing the world outside of like conformity, like not like, like Tobey Maguire is this, this character who's obsessed with this old TV show and like wishes life would be in, in the nineties, like it was in this leave it to beaver, Andy Griffith sort of town show called Pleasantville and Don Knotts in one of the, you know, cameos to end all cameos plays a a cable repair band who gives him a magic remote that zaps him and his sister into the show. And from there, their sensibility uh, and their nineties life starts to then impact Pleasantville as this alternate, you know, this alternate dimension that is Pleasantville. And, Oh, isn't a young Paul Walker in that movie too? Like, isn't he, um, He's, yep. he's like the star athlete that, uh, but as they start to challenge the world of Pleasantville, it starts to go from black and white to color. And it's so metaphorical and it's so, again, it's, it's a comedy and it's smart. And yet at the same time, it's about sexuality and about like Joan Allen's character as the mom and her challenging her desires and her needs and it, it really is a fascinating look at patriarchy you know the men of the town like they meet and they make decisions for the town and they're the ones that are really threatened by color and and life and it's beautiful and at the end of the movie the, the best thing about this is at the end of the movie the guy who wanted to live there chooses to go back and the one who didn't want to be there his sister chooses to stay and she's the one who who decides to continue and to and to forge a new life and move forward in Pleasantville. It's it's amazing. It's terrific, and it is one of my wife's favorite movies too. Like, is one that she likes to watch on the random every once in a while, and it still holds up. Like, I I feel it is a truly timeless movie uh, in the land of film. Definitely underrated. Definitely quality performances put in. It's really funny that that comes up on the list while we're talking about WandaVision, right? Because if you draw some right. interesting aesthetics. Well, there's some really strong parallels there. Okay. So my number three, uh, this I, I have a feeling that this is going to be an interesting jumble of where things land. But my number three is Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Is that higher up on others? Yeah, it's higher oh, up on Tunnies. So that's my number three. So we'll move on back to you, Ray, for your number three. My number three is Jumanji. Wow, nice call. Thank you, sir. Um, uh, Robin, Robin Williams is a legend. Point blank, period. Don't need to say any more about that. But I think it's a really... I, I love movies that are cleverly made. Right? That are you, you spoke about Pleasantville, Pat. That is a very clever movie because it takes an idea that you know and flips it on its head. Everybody's played a... Everybody's played a, a, a board game. That's, everybody does that. So to take that and kind of flip it on his head and make it almost real and then kind of putting them in the game and very different to the newer Jumanji's, uh, but in a very scary and dangerous way and, and have Robin Williams play the roles that he played. And it's, I, it's, it's just so fun. And as a kid, that is the, that is the perfect kids movie because every kid wanted to play fucking Jumanji as stupid as we would have been to play it. <laughs> every kid was like, I want that. 
Um, so fun, and I miss Robin Williams so much. And that is that and Mrs. Doubtfire are like the the two movies that I think of first when I think of Robin Williams. I know I know his list goes deep, so I'm not trying to poop on anything else. But like being a nineties nah, baby. I mean, you were talking about top tens. Like you could do a top ten Robin Williams. Damn right. On the show, and it, just it, in the nineties, and everybody. Well, and, and I'm a Dead Poet Society guy myself. Like that's my absolute favorite Robin Williams movie. Goodwill made, Hunting. It made made me want to be a teacher, and then I actually taught. I was like, wait a minute, I don't get to stand on desks. That's weird. Yeah, Goodwill Hunting, a movie that's underrated that that a lot of people don't like, but I love Patch Adams. Like he is fucking amazing. You talk about the concept of the movie Jumanji, though, and using that as a premise for a movie, and it holds water now because The Rock came back and did two more, right? I mean, so Jumanji is definitely a, a great premise for a movie, and like you said, yeah, I mean, Robin Williams, rest in peace, man, just genius. The children in that movie, I thought, did a great job. I think they both yes, went on to yes. have a, a little right. bit of an acting career as well. was it young so. Kirsten Dunst, wasn't it? Kirsten, Kirsten Dunst is one of them, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah we had a, he had a career. Um, based on a book, by the way. So if you, you know, if it is something that you liked, you check out the book, it's out there. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't know that. Well, my number three, I know is higher on Pat's list and it's Jurassic Park. So we might as well move to then that's higher on Tunney's. What's your number three PC? My number three is higher on Patrick's list. It's the matrix. <laughs> right. So I think so we can finally, I think if we move to number twos here now, right? Yeah. But- okay. Yep. Yeah. Terminator 2, Judgment Day is my number two. Does anybody have it? It's my number two. All right. I also saw this movie in the movie theater, and I think it's way better than the first one. And Schwarzenegger is excellent. And Linda Hamilton, right? Um, Yep. The the fact that this movie had such a solid first movie, but the first one wasn't as flashy or as in-depth as far as critical thinking goes from a viewer standpoint – I think really lended the lended itself to be so successful for the second one, and and just the advancement in technology and what you see in the movie with everything that happens with you know Arnold getting shot and re, not regenerating and the eye being blown up and that's what you see until it gets fixed. But then the new Terminator coming along and even if you shoot his arms off, it goes back into almost liquid mercury like you would see in a fucking thermometer, beads up and runs right back to its home. So. I just enjoyed the shit out of this movie aesthetically and from a storyline wise. It's easily the best in the Terminator series of movies, the one before it and to follow it by far. In my opinion, maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger's best movie. And I'm, I'm you, you said something that I want to point out. And again, this is Wikipedia, but I, I believe it. Um, this is the first movie that used natural human motion for a computer generated character. And it you was, can tell it, it, it was it was ground breaking at the, all three of these movies that we're about to talk about. Part of the reason why they are so high, high on our list is because of how they changed the game with how movies are made. And that that even to go back to I hate the Phantom Menace, but the way the Phantom Menace was made is it, it should be lumped up there with these three movies in just movie making and how films were made. Um, it's and James Cameron took, he just, he took technology and he used it in a way nobody ever imagined. And, and for me, I like my favorite moment with the T 1000 is when 
He takes over the helicopter. He smashes his head through the window, pours himself in, and forms the body to then fly the helicopter to try and shoot down Arnold. Like, it's it's stunning. And I remember seeing it in the theater, and you're just you're blown away by, by that. And then you loop in the idea of, is the future static? Like, is it predetermined? If you know what it is, can you change it? And that's the thing I love about the Terminator trilogy, because I actually don't think the third one is as terrible as a lot of people make it out to be. Um, because it's the concept of of time and change in the future, and is the future really written? Uh, and and the, the thing I love about the Terminator franchise is they say no. Like, the future is the future. And you can't you can't stop it. And there's a feeling of inevitability there. And they end that movie. So glad we went with the original ending and not the one with Linda Hamilton, old lady Linda Hamilton sitting in the park writing a journal. But her on a road, not you just don't know what it is. She's just on an open road and she feels good about the future, but it could still already be written. And that's a great ambiguity to, to finish a movie. Yeah, the thing about the movie is comparing it to the first Terminator just the the visuals of the two movies are so different from each other, but it's the same, it's the same franchise, and and you know they turn it on its head where the whole thing with Arnold, where you don't realize until they're at the mall that he's actually the good guy this time, and 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 you try to figure out what's going on. Edward Furlong, I think that was the kid, right? He turned in a yeah. exceptional performance in this movie, and it just like you know, I mean, Guns and Roses soundtrack was was solid as well at the time. But the special effects are one thing. Uh, how about what the movie did for Linda Hamilton and the idea of the feminine physique? Because she came out of this movie ripped. Jacked. And a lot of women said, oh, shit, I need to get in shape. Look what look at her. You compare her from the first one to, to, uh, to uh, Terminator 2. Wow. She really got in shape for this thing. And, and, and she kind of ushered in the badass female character before it really became en vogue. And, and the 90s was big on that, and it kind of started here. So, uh, yeah, it's a fantastic Her Gurney Weaver? Her escape from Weaver? The, I mean, her... Gurney Weaver, yeah. When did Aliens hey, come out? Demi Moore, 82, 83? G.I. Jane. Well, Alien was in 79. Okay. Okay, it was 80, somewhere in there. Alien was first. Uh, and Alien is where she is. Sigourney Weaver is truly like the... Like, Ripley, I like yeah. her in Aliens, but they dumb her down by making her be a mother figure for a child. Like they use that old crutch because people are more comfortable when a woman's looking after a kid. I guess. Um, oh, it's other, true. The other good thing, it, it, it is true. <laughs> the other good thing about this is um, understated the relationship between uh, John Connor and the Terminator and that father figure because of like you're saying, Pat, the time loop and the paradox that has been created where, you know, the dad comes back in time to create the son and, and all that kind of stuff. And so he's raised without a father. Do you see at the beginning, he's just having a lot of trouble with the world in general. And then his relationship with Arnold uh, really is kind of, it's kind of touching and, and the determination of the Terminator to just not succumb. To For the record, Terminator two came out in 91 GI Jane came out in 97. There you go. So she easily, she easily predates GI Jane. I was just giving more examples. I know. I but in my desperate need to be right all the time, I needed to to do some date searching. Die on that hill, buddy. Go for it. That's right. It's here for me. So Tony and I had T two at number two. 
That puts us to Ray's yeah. number two. The Matrix. Higher. Okay. Number one. Higher. Okay. Yep. And my number two is Jurassic Park. That's my number so, one. That's your go, number one. So go ahead so and talk let, about it because so these are the last two left. Now, now we're just tackling the last two. So Jurassic Park, Steven Spielberg made dinosaurs walk on a screen. End <laughs> statement. And that's and that's the thing that to to this day, uh, every remaster, every redone that sharpens up that stuff will never compare. Like when we talk about whether or not the movie theater will still live, will will live or die after this. When you see those brontosauruses or whatever they were, brachiosaurs, when 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 Sam Neill takes his glasses down and sees them, it's it's epic it's magnificent it's it, any time if any they re-release or put jurassic park back in the theater you should go watch it because there's so many moments like that in that movie that change again changed how we make movies well you talk about its experience in the movie in the movie theater talk about the part where you know goddamn computers anyway uh <laughs> reminds me of the uh the famous onion, uh, the famous edition of the onion where they, you open it up and it's an article and it shows a picture of a man and it says, I hate my computer. And the computer says, I hate that guy. That's the other part. Anyway. All right. Um, bad comedy, but you talk about being in the theater and experiencing it. How about when the glass of water shakes because they know the dinosaurs are approaching when they're locked in. Right. But not only that, you add a good story to it. This is a really good story. And tell about how people actually you sit there and you go wow could they actually bring dinosaurs back like that yeah absolutely here's the other thing this is a quintessential science fiction story because one of the best things about sci-fi is in um ian malcolm sorry I, I forgot his real name jeff goldblum's character he even says it and it's one of the big things that is is always fascinating about science fiction he's like we were so excited about the fact that we could do it that nobody ever stopped and asked whether we should. And that is a classic tenement of science fiction movies is, is the science like, is what we're doing good and right? And should we do this just because we can, just because we have this power, should we keep it? And we're even, you know, we talked about WandaVision. One of the things we left out about WandaVision that fits right in with this, the Vision didn't want to be revived because he was concerned about how mankind would use him as a weapon. And that, like, you know, later Jurassic Park movies would get into that sort of question. This one was just about, can you control what what we, we, we have no concept of what they are and should, should they be controlled? Man, the 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 you talked about the the glass of water shaking, the raptors in the kitchen scene with the chit with the kids. Oh boy, tension, tension. Oh man, it's just such a good movie, man. And and I, I so I've, we've mentioned a lot of actors that have kind of run the scene in the '90s: Will Smith, Jeff Goldblum, um, Bruce Willis, Michael Clark Duncan. But Jeff Goldblum had some hitters, man. And and I, so if 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 we were if you were to ask any random person on the street, hey, I'm just curious, what movie do you think of when you think of the 1990s? Wouldn't you think they would all say Jurassic Park? A lot of them. The a majority of, would be Jurassic would Park. That. Yeah. 
that goes to show why it deserves to be number one and number two on this list. This is almost the defining movie of that decade. Like we were talking about how, um, you know, the Terminator 2 did a lot for Linda, Linda, Hamil- Linda Hamilton's career and the idea of the feminine physique. This movie introduced people. How many people even knew what a Velociraptor was before Jurassic Park came out? And this movie. So, uh, it's not a real dinosaur. Sorry. It's not. It's called a Deandre something. What is it called? Uh, It's called D-E-I-N-O-N-Y-C-H-U-S. Let the smarter people in the room say that for me. Uh, I'd have to actually look at it to pronounce it, but... (laughs) Anyway, it's neither here nor there. It's it's based on a real dinosaur, but it's... Yeah, the Velociraptor is not a real uh, name for a a dinosaur. There are... um, I can't remember what they're what some of the in, other ones are in fact to, in, pro- to prove patrick's point if you watch J- jurassic world when chris pratt is has them he says their real name right all right so. well so much thank you for debunking but, that but i mean it did introduce a, a fictional dinosaur character based on reality that suddenly became more synonymous with a franchise than a tyrannosaurus rex was and i know yeah right. they, and they really they're bro- also not the size of a turkey not not the size of an ostrich that's no fun. No, no, I, 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 I'm going to remove this. I'm removing this from my list now. It's not any good. <laughs> You're now. Done. Yeah, it's, well, it's, that's, that's fine. Uh, well, let's talk about our number one um, and, and just get over mean, to the Matrix. You mean your number one? My, my number my one. Number two, yeah, my number one, too, is the Matrix. Eight, one. I'm just talking about A, 1A, 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 1A. I, like, well, right. Yeah, I think the three of them were Jurassic Park, Matrix, and uh, Terminator, Terminator 2. 2. But I mean, you, all very all valid choices. You want to talk about clever movies, like you've mentioned a few times, Pat. There is no more clever movie than The Matrix. I mean, with all due respect yeah. to Jurassic Park and what it did, and like Tony said, Jurassic Park has created, you got to give credit to Michael Crichton for the novel as well. But what right. Jurassic Park did was it got people thinking about something that was portrayed as science fiction. And now you've got real scientists saying like Tony said, Hey, I wonder if we can actually do that. If we do have dinosaur DNA, can we recreate dinosaurs? And like you're saying, Pat, well, if we can, should we, the matrix on the other hand, makes you question your entire human existence. You know, what are we are, are, you know, go ahead, Tony. I just want to say something real quick about Jurassic Park because I feel like Matrix Talk is going to be the rest of the way because we forgot to say one thing, that Jerry Seinfeld was right all along. Newman. (laughs) (laughs) Right, that jerk. That's true. Dodson. Dodson. We got Dodson here. Yeah, but the Matrix, on the other hand, um, man, the whole concept of that we are living a simulation, that, and the Matrix, one of those movies you got to watch a few times to catch all this stuff, but the idea that the, the that everything that we experience is just the wool pulled over our eyes and we're nothing more than fucking batteries for the machines that have taken over no one even knows when they took over uh is is it's awesome and it's terrifying at the same time and like similar to Jurassic Park now there's a whole group of people who theorize that the matrix is real that this is a real thing that we are really living a simulation and you know, you can't really say that they're wrong, even though it feels wrong, but maybe they're right. And The Matrix is just one of those movies that the whole concept... The views of David Ungar do not reflect the views of bandwagon nerds. <laughs> or 
or maybe they do. But anyway, it's it's such a so David Ungar still do not. <laughs> maybe they are. Jesus Christ. Conspiracy theories, Pat. Uh, flatter too. But uh, I think you know Keanu Reeves was uh, excellent in this movie. Uh, at least the first one. The other two are uh, a little bit more dicey, and it it veers off into the direction of religion far too much in the second and third one. But it, well, it's, it's so clever what they did in this movie and just how they portrayed it. The Jesus allegory is much more subtle in the original Matrix than it is in the last two because it's all over the place. You got Judas Iscariot in that in in the Matrix. You like. He is wounded in the side and healed by Mary Magdalene. Like he rises from the dead. The problem is, by the time you got to the third Matrix movie, you're just getting hit over and over with crosses everywhere you go. It's like, hey, look, he's Jesus. In the original Matrix, it's much more subtle. It's much more cleverly done. And again, you, you people were so blown away by just the the use of special effects. Like the the bullet trails, the frozen in time stuff, the the dodging, and the way they moved, uh, yeah, it's just to me when you look at where we were in ninety six, ninety seven when that movie came out, technology, computers, hacking was on the rise. Like uh, you know, the concept of of VR was really starting to be born. And this was this is what I would say is just this great microcosm of the age uh, of where we were in terms of our own technology. And then to see it um, to see it then transform into this concept of, well, the virtual reality just is reality. That to me was 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 amazing. And, and I blew my mind and I didn't see it at the theater. Like I was one of those people who saw it later and was like, what's the big deal about this movie? And then when I watched it, I'm like, what? Why did I not go see this at the theater? I was exactly the same way. It, it had, I had absolutely, and I cannot stress this enough, zero interest when this movie came out. And I saw right. it later on in my life and was like, I am an idiot. It's right. a, How did I miss that? Such a smart movie. Um, such a clever movie, as you guys have put. And... So the things that the the takeaways from me are stuff that makes me like my memory isn't the greatest. Um, Definitely not like you guys. Like I can't remember every single part of every single movie I saw 20, 30 years ago. That's an amazing trait you guys have. I don't have that. If I can remember stuff about a movie, then that movie was was something to me. And that movie, you you specifically remember things that you never saw in that movie, like the bullet trails, like the frozen in time. Those are things that I, you never saw ever before. Right. Unless you were like a big right. Kung Fu fan, maybe like that's about the only time you saw something like that. And I wasn't. Um, and it just, it just that, that, that although the frozen in time, the red pill, blue pill, these are the things that are recreated in common society and popular culture all the time and every genre, in every movie. Hell, we're wrestling guys. Mickey James and Trish Stratus, that's part of their move set, right? I think Naomi yeah. does it now. Because and it, but that's where the first time you saw it. Um Yeah, I'm, so, glad you, I'm glad you brought up that love of kung fu because that style of fighting was not something that a lot of people like it, people had forgotten it. It was 20 years ago 
when the mm-hmm. like kung fu Phil craze was really at its apex, and that brought it back. People oh, yeah. discovered Bruce Lee or rediscovered Bruce Lee because of the Matrix. As silly as that sounds, it's true. And the, the other thing, the concept that as the Matrix has taken hold, that humans aren't really human anymore. We're not born; we're grown, and we're now yeah. hybrids. You know, we're not pure humans. We're halfway between human and machine because like yeah neo can have all the kung fu training in the world uploaded to him in a matter of minutes and he knows it all and 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 that's that's fascinating as a concept to think wow what if that was real you know what what sort of things could you accomplish but at the end of the day and this is what's so great about this movie is you have that knowledge and you can give it given to you but your humanity is what makes you better than the machines Yep. In, in this movie and that concept um, was so great and it was a shame that it took an 86 dive into some crazy town by the time we got to the third world like I don't like I don't dislike the second and third Matrix movies um, but they definitely felt like a sort of a strange step back uh, to where I I don't know if it you know absence and being 20 years later what four will be like uh, when it when it hits theaters, if it hits theaters in 2027, but that one to me could could go either way because the the concepts did get I think a little odd and heavy handed in the you know the revolutions and I can't remember what the other one was. Do do you think the overall thought process and and feelings from what people got from the matrix and how it kind of made people think affected how people reacted to Y2K. Oh, I think it absolutely has a place in there. I think that again, I think that it shows our, uh, our natural distrust of technology and advancement. I think it's the same thing. Like you, like we could, we could make a movie like the matrix today and actually, you know, a lot of our films like that we, that we look at and review, particularly in the science fiction fantasy genre, and then later we're going to talk about this in horror, are terrific allegories of very real fears that people have now. Zombie flicks is all, in my opinion, a fear of plague, a fear of disease, mm-hmm. dying mm-hmm. out, of mm-hmm. science, you know, and that's the other thing, was, or drugs and anti-vaxxing, or the fear of side effects that that result like in you and you being corrupted or hurt in some way science fiction alien invasions are always allegories for wars we're waging within our own within our own world uh yeah. you know you look at old alien invasion movies from the 50s and 60s that's all an allegory for the cold war for russian invasion and things like that so it's always an astute observation when you can connect it to what was happening at the world in the world at the time. And Y2K was very much hitting up on the forefront. I think that's a great place for us to wrap part one of our nineties project, the sci-fi and fantasy edition next week. We're going to hear Ray talk about Fern Gully again, because we are going to cover our top 10 family slash children's basically the G rated set of nineties films. I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of Disney in there, fellas. Um, just off the top of my head, I, I already know what my number one is. And it doesn't have to just be animation. It could just be and it can be live action, but just family. Live, live action, but yeah, you're looking at those G-rated movies you would have watched as a child. Well, that's not a good thing to say to me because 
I would this watch everything be, I'm supposed to be watching. This is going to be a challenging list for Dave because he was, you know, 84 years old back when the 90s were going on. He's now 173. It's it been 84 look- years. Right. <laughs> the Titanic, the Titanic meme. Did you get yep. it? I got it. I got it. So, as always, we're coming up on the end of the show. It's time to wrap things up with Patrick O'Dowd has a question. It is the Superb Owl Night. Oh, I'm sorry, Super Bowl. By the way, if y'all haven't watched what we do in the shadows, go watch the Superb Owl Party episode. It is hilarious as vampires are invited to a Super Bowl party, but they split the word to say Superb Owl and think they're going to see some magical owl once every year. It's outstanding. But I got to thinking about this, and I asked this of of Tony when I was watching Iowa play Indiana, and I realized I hate Luca Garza. Uh, for no other reason than I just look at him and I dislike him. Super Bowl is coming along. I have a similar level of irrational hate for for Rob Gronkowski. Can't stand the dude. Hell of a player. Hate him. Don't hate Tom Brady. Hate Rob Gronkowski. My question to you, gentlemen, who is an athlete that you dislike slash even maybe go so far as to say hate where the hate's really kind of unwarranted and it's really probably just because he's on a team that's not yours? Easy. For me, Sidney Crosby, all the way, every single day. <laughs> Fuck you, Sidney Crosby. Sidney Crosby, hate that son of a bitch. Respect him. For me in hockey, I res- for me in hockey, Patrick Kane. I res- yeah, I respect him immensely because of what he's done and at my team's expense numerous times. That doesn't change the fact that I hate his guts, and I know I speak for a lot of Caps fans. There were there were a lot of players I dislike, but I have. Quote, been been quoted on multiple occasions of saying, I would fight this dude if I saw him in real life. And I know I'd die, but it'd be worth it. I hate James Harrison with a fervent okay. passion. Now, I respect him because I understand his story and I know how hard he works and I know how good he is. There's a respect level there. But I hate James Harrison. My Oh, my blood is boiling. I hate James Harrison so much. Very nice. My other irrational hate, because I watch a lot more college sports, and, and it's another one of those where I probably would love him if he's on my team, and it's too bad Tony had to go. But uh, on the Wisconsin Badgers, there's a guy named Brad Davison, who is a redshirt senior, and he's a he's like your prototypical Wisconsin guard. White dude, crew cut, flat top haircut, has the fucking mouthpiece that... When when plays dead, he does that thing where he spits it out and just like has oh, half. The, the Steph Curry. And I'm like, I, I hate you. I hate you. I look at you, and I'm like, you are a tool in real life, and nobody likes you. He's one of those dudes. This is another thing I hate. Three point shooter who does the pose after he shoots, like and holds it because he thinks it's in. Nothing makes me happier, and nothing made me happier than when Illinois thumped Wisconsin last night. Davidson shot that first three of the game. Not only did he miss, he overshot the basket and barely drew iron. That's what you get. I hate you, and I want you to go away. I want to punch you in the face. I'm glad you mentioned that. Speaking of college basketball, two guys I hate and will hate forever, no matter how good they are, Darren Williams, sorry, I'll explain to you why, and Frank Kaminsky, who plays for my favorite team right now, the Suns, because both of y'all screwed Arizona out of a damn Final Four. Screw both of y'all. Screw Illinois. How did we screw you out of a Final Four with the greatest comeback in history? 
Uh, so you can find me at no. <laughs> like I, that that game is the bane of for, my college existence. For the tie, he hits it. I watch that game on repeat every every year, man. It's, it was one of my favorite games of all time. But then I had to turn around and watch us lose the national title game as suddenly Sean May <laughs> and Marvin Sean, Williams. Sean May. The Sean May Marvin Williams don't Raymond touch Felton. Hands. It was the uh, it was the foul disparity. I'm not saying that North Carolina didn't foul, but boy howdy, they 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 didn't foul. Ball don't uh, lie, sir. Ball don't lie. It sure does when you get fifty some fouls called on you. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds. Thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed our first go around with the sci-fi fantasy top 10 list from the 90s project well well done everybody great films all around and it's always good to see a, a fairly strong consensus at the top before we head out why don't we tell everybody where they can find us all around the chair shop network why don't we start with you rev um well i am at it's ray cash that's r-e-y as in mysterio c-a-s-h as in dollars got a new come got a new column coming out uh about why spider woman is the greatest spider in the history of the spider verse um, can I get an advanced copy, Ray? Can I can I get an advanced copy? Can I remove Ray? Remove from call. <laughs> I'll send you that. Hey, you don't even like her. You don't even like Jessica Drew that much. Like you just no, troll the troll. No, I actually love Jessica Drew. I think she's dope. I think Jessica Drew is really dope. Um, oh, he froze. Yeah. See okay. that? That's that's, that's what you did. You did that. Okay. You did that, didn't that you? Am back? You are back. Okay. You're sorry. Back. Yes, Jessica Drew. Jessica Drew is dope. I, I I like her a lot, and I'm a Hawkeye fan. That was his main squeeze for a minute, so clearly I like her. Anyway, look, um, look at him. He's pushing the internet gods. They froze you for a reason. <laughs> anyway, it's a glitch in the matrix, um, Ray. I'm saying this is all simulation anyway. So what does it matter? Um, Outsiders Edge, uh, Three Man Weave, Bandwagon Nerds, Chair Shot Radio on Thursdays. Check your boy. I'm I'm out here. All right, David Ungar. Well, you can check me out on Twitter at Attitude Ag. That is at Attitude A-G-G and on Facebook.com slash Attitude of Regression. And, of course, Chair Shot Radio with the one and only Patrick O'Dowd on Sunday mornings where we get to rip down teams every single week. It's glorious. Yeah, we're going after hey. the New York Knickerbockers next week. By the way, Kyle wants to come on with you guys because he's a massive hockey fan. Okay, I, I think we can do that once. Sure, just wanted to put out there on the on the episode you know? where we destroy the Washington Capitals because they suck. Anyway, go ahead, Pat. He's he's a Canes fan. Yeah, he doesn't need to be on the show then. He really doesn't. <laughs> There's Pat. He's back. You no, didn't miss. You didn't miss anything. Back? You didn't miss anything. Just Ev- as soon as everything froze that time. As soon as Ray said that his buddy. Saying- he said his buddy's a Hurricanes fan. I said, yeah, he doesn't need to be on the show. He really doesn't. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, anyway, you can find me at Wrestling Realist. That is at W-R-E-S-T-L-N-G-R-E-A-L-I-S-T. You can listen to me here, of course, every Monday on Bandwagon Nerds with the Reverend and with the Lawyer. You can catch me every Wednesday with Craig DeMarco and Miranda Morales on the Babyface Heel podcast. I'm still getting used to that name, as well as 
um, like Dave mentioned, every Sunday morning on the Chair Shot Radio where Dave and I will talk hockey and tell you why your team sucks. That's going to do it for this week's edition for Ban- of Bandwagon Roads. Remember, next week we're going to do the top 10 family-friendly slash G-rated films of the 90s. Until then, get yourself out of the basement, check out the superb owl, and pray that Patrick Rove Holmes runs roughshod over Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. You're listening to Bandwagon Nerds on the ChairShot Radio Network on thechairshot.com. Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now, in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window, or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage. Born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. (sighs) Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. <laughs>